しめをかけて燃える街にあとわずか届く叫びを耳にして帰ってきたぞ帰ってきたぞ
You know, I didn't uh, put two and two together, but yeah, what the fuck's going on yeah, with that? Yeah, we'll talk I, about it. Like, yeah, there's it's it's like an episode clearly about like a relatable thing, but then also he kidnaps a kid. <laughs> um. All right. Uh. Before any of that. Uh. New Year. But this show has not fucking changed. Uh. We are st- we are still uh here to hang out and and chill. Uh. Which means, um, right at the front, I I'm gonna I gotta tick off. Something I a tick off game I've had on my to do list for years and years. Um, I finally finished the uh, Obsidian RPG Tyranny. Uh, cool, right. yeah. <laughs> Woo! That, I feel like the lack of discussion and cultural memory that I associate with this game. Uh, I'm not surprised by your response, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I you say that, but there's also like a, a lack of uh, you know memory about uh, Pillars of Eternity too, and all twelve people who've played it really liked it. Uh, so you know. Um, yeah, that's true. Uh, Tyranny was uh, I'm I mixed on it for like a few. I don't mean like I think it's you know. I mean, legitimately mixed. I mean, like, there's stuff that I think is fucking stupid, and I think the stuff that I think is actually pretty good. Um, and it's just, like, first of all, like, it's a very edgelordy game. I'm norm- I'm normally like, hell yeah, edgelord shit. Uh, that's that's my jam. Um, I can handle that. Uh, and then this time, it's just, like, there's, like, it's, like, it is not, it's not edgy in a real way. It's not Elric. It's not good shit. It is just kind of, like, it's like Star Wars. It's like Sith stuff, edgy. And it's like, this is boring, and I hate it. Because um, it's got, like, you're you're like uh, you're a cop for the Empire, which, first of all, I'm like, this is going to be the greatest game ever made. <laughs> I was like, this is, like, so oh, long as you lean in. Oh, um, uh, <laughs> You're a member of Lon... You're Amuro Ray. You're Bright <laughs> Noah. Um, and uh, you rock up uh, to settle a dispute between to get two armies to work two imperial armies to work together one of them is the disfavored they're purple and one of them the scarlet chorus they're red um and the disfavored are like uh alexander the great like legion like like pro like militaries crossed with like roman legion stuff um and they're all about how you know oh, they they have iron armor because they have like special magic that they can because it's like on the cusp from the bronze age to the iron age um and uh and they're all they're like honor and decency and loyalty um but also they're racists um and they are uh you know they're still an invading army even if they're like honorable about it they're you know they're conquering these lands um, in the name of the Empire. Um, <clears throat> the other side is the Scarlet Chorus, and they are just the Sith. And I was like, well, they're like constantly doing social Darwinist stuff in a way that's like, just like not interesting at all. I don't, it's not, it's not actually, I, you know, it, it doesn't line up with what I, what I want. Like I would, I would much rather like the Scarlet Chorus was like, cause they're, they're like, you know, they're the horde. They're like the mass of uh, like infantry and like throw like shock forces that are kind of much more throwaway than the disfavored elite soldiers. But there are more of them, and I'm like, you could just make you could just make this like a reg- like World War One uh, army. 
is what you could do. You could like make this like top down violence and it would it would work much better than this weird Sith stuff that you have going on that's I just I, I it just saps the game of a lot of its actual real uh interesting like fun because like there's there's some stuff here you can do with like because it gives you authority right from the jump as a main character in like a CRPG which is like it just like raises the stakes on your dialogue options and what you do when you know like every choice you make is like you're playing politics a little bit um so, yeah so like correct me if i'm wrong but the whole deal with your main character is you're like a legal decision maker between disputes yes. right okay yeah you're a lawyer yeah um you are absolutely you're a lawyer with a sword um and you're judge dread um and uh you uh, get sent to you can you like the emperor sometimes works uh works their magic through you because the the overlord has magic called edicts and you could like it's a spell in a scroll and it sends people to read it out at the location uh necessary and there's always like a like it's very like it's like a law because it's got a way out um it's got a like uh, a clause that will let you end the edict um and you know it's a lot of a lot of this game's like uh it's just like for like the thing the thing about making a game this short because uh, it's not it's not a very long game um is that it promotes role play actually um in a way that like the longer the, you know if i check how long to beat and the game is running up to like 50 hours i'm like i'm probably not gonna play this game multiple times and so i'm probably just gonna do like you know the question i'm gonna ask myself in any given in any given choice is oh what would i do in this scenario <laughs> rather than um you know make a character with you know, like a different perspective than me uh, which is what i did for this game which was i made you know i i checked how long to beat and it's like oh this is like a 25 to 30 hour game and i was like okay it's sick uh you know my character is gonna be like what if you crossed Reinhardt von Lohengram with Satsuki from Kill the Kill? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, let's run with that. Um, and, you know, it, it, that worked out in terms of, like, because I know there are, like, four endings, uh, and I got I got one of them that, that worked. I was like, ah, oh, that makes sense. That is That makes ex the exact sense for what I was going for. Um, I think uh, the game would benefit from actually giving you, like, I think it would benefit from, like, telling you what kind of endings you can aim for um up front um rather than kind of letting you kind of like sail it's like just like you know, it's, it's just you know kind of unaided uh, uncharted waters um but you know it's it's the other thing that i i got to i got to like real time with pause combat uh which is a great boon that i will take forwards to many video games <laughs> <laughs> um that i previously would not have liked um uh and the other te truly terrible thing about this video game is the Beastmen, uh, which is something you can say about a lot of RPGs, uh, unfortunately. With um, that specific name, even too. Yes, yes, that's what, <laughs> yes, that's yes. I'm like, <laughs> ah, RPG with Beastmen. Uh oh. <laughs> um, terrible, 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 Worrisome. awful. Um, they all—it's all about like uh, packs and alphas and betas and um, and. Uh, Oh, you mean that stuff about wolves has been completely discredited by science? 
yes, 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 yes. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm, you know, mixed. I like the magic. I liked, I, I don't really rate many of the main party characters. Um, I like Lantry. Unfortunately, he's played by DC Douglas. Um, oh. So, you know, uh, that's a shame. Um, yeah. Is, uh, eh. I'm still going to play, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to play Pillars of Eternity one day. Uh, but Hell uh, yeah. Next on my list is not any of those. It's fucking Disco Elysium because I want to play Disco Elysium. That's probably um, the CRBG I should play the most. I should finish that game. I was halfway through a run of that and then the director's cut dropped. I'm like, well, I, I'm I am like, I might as well fucking I am restart. Like, I am halfway through that game right now. It's inc- it's amazing. Yeah, I've never, <laughs> a really I've never time. played a CRPG, but that does seem like to be like the one to play along with like maybe Planescape, and I guess maybe some more uh, modern. Ones. I don't know. So other people can tell yeah, me. I, I yeah, I'm I I hear people recommend Pillars of Eternity very highly as like what as like a really good modern iteration of like traditional fantasy CRPG. Um, I, would, I, I, I heard Baldur's Gate I three would, one game of the. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would pick Pillars of Eternity before Baldur's Gate 3, a yeah, game I'm, which is not finished yet. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not necessarily interested that, in Baldur's Gate 3 at the moment. Uh, that game has been in early access since 2020, and uh, I am willing to bet it will continue to be in early access until next year, despite what it says on Steam. <laughs> I, I, I hear Act 3 is still a mess. Uh, uh, I've, I've had friends that have had uh, issues with their game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is that is how it goes with these games. I'm sim. I'm. I simply, you know, I don't even necessarily have it out for Baldur's Gate three. I do. I'm a bit of a hater. Uh, but um, everyone insisting that oh, they just released a, a complete game at launch, and I was like, well, first of all, no, they didn't. It released three years ago <laughs> in early access, and second, I bet it's fucking not. I I'm not gonna say that because you're all being weird and scary on Twitter, but I bet it's not done. <laughs> Um, I uh, I still need to uh, wrap up the originals before I get to three. I'll do it one day. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that is me. I'm keeping it. I'm keeping it brief because uh, it's been. It's, we've we've been. Uh, we haven't recorded in three weeks. We took a Christmas yeah. and New Year break. Uh, I had to curate my list. Uh, I have to curate a list. substantial list, and I'll run through a bunch of them really fast when I get to me. Okay, which one of you wants to go first then? I'll go. I'll go. Fuck it. Okay. So, I shortly after we recorded last episode, I want to say, I decided to... So, there's been a lot of discussion around Godzilla Minus One, and I feel like a lot of, a lot of the conversation... Yeah, we, we, we talked about some of the... Some of the things that are being discussed about that movie and its handling of things, Mel and I discuss uh, on on that podcast, um, specifically revolving around like, hey, like, how much work is Godzilla Minus One actually doing in like a sincere manner to actually make good on like basically calling out the actions of Imperial Japan, what things got ignored in that conversation, how sincere is the movie being, how much Apologia is still wrapped up in that movie's presentation of the time period. Um, lot of, a lot of conversations and stuff like that going around. Something that is often brought up is that uh, the director, uh, Takashi Yamazaki, um was uh, uh yes that that is his name i wanted to confirm he, oh you watched yes. this man's terrible movie yes i did 
So, yes, I oh, saw yeah. this on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, prior to Godzilla Minus One, he made a movie that is based on... It is an adaptation of a novel by uh, Naoki uh, Hayakuda, who is just like an alt-right shithead. Like, terrible, like, conservative, like, full-on war crime denier, like, douchebag. Mm-hmm. Um, now... This movie came out and was highly controversial. Uh, Abe loved it. Miyazaki hated it. <laughs> Everyone had a fucking opinion on this movie. Um, uh, oh, man. Uh, it, so, and also, too, uh, I guess while we're still here, the reception part of it, uh, the director came out and was like, no, this is supposed to be an anti-war movie. And looking at his comments... Oh, that's that's a, cl- that's a classic thing yes. that you can say when you're right-wing. <laughs> Sometimes. So, his... What it reminds me of are the people making Call of Duty that are like, what do you mean we're promoting American imperialism in <laughs> war? Bad things happen. Bad things happen to the soldiers. And look, it's, it's anti-war. Call um, of Duty devs uh, pinning an American war crime on the Russians. What do you mean? <laughs> my So my current take on the situation, so I genuinely believe the director made Godzilla Minus One as a do-over to attempt to make good on what he... I think he genuinely thought he was making an anti-war movie and then people told him he was a dumbass and then he made Godzilla Minus One. And I do think Godzilla Minus One handles this stuff a lot better. I do think there's room for improvement. But, um... Holy shit, this movie sucks. So, (laughs) this movie is... Okay. There's a young brother and... This is a movie... Now, um... No, no, no. I'm not gonna gonna guess. You go ahead. (laughs) Okay, so The Eternal Zero is a movie about a young brother and sister. Their grandfather dies. Or actually, sorry, I believe their grandmother dies. I can't remember. Um, Yes, his grandmother dies. Um, And then he starts, while they're, you know, at the funeral or whatever, he starts talking uh, to his mom and his sister. um, And he learns that his maternal grandfather is not actually blood related to him. And then they start to hear stories about their real grandpa, um, who was a kamikaze pilot in World War II. They decide, well, why don't we learn about this guy? So they go around and talk to a bunch of his, the old, like, you know, Japanese, like, aerial defense force, like, people, or, or like, I forget what the Imperial Air Army was called or whatever, but, you know, mm-hmm. a bunch of his old comrades in arms or whatever sort of thing to, like, figure out what their grandpa was like. And a bunch of them are all like, oh, he's a fucking coward, a loser, asshole, whatever. Um, so then they start talking to this one guy, and preemptively, the brother's like, yeah, everyone said he's just, like, a coward and a loser. And then he, like, the their grandpa's old friend just is like, what the fuck did you say about your grandpa? Your grandpa was one of the greatest men I knew. Oh, my God. So now the boy is interested and he goes, I need to find out who my grandpa really was. Uh, And they go down a rabbit hole of learning about how his grandpa was the nicest and most noble kamikaze pilot of them all. Uh, There's a scene where they invent some young, successful, rich liberal friends for the main character to go to dinner with. And they all have girlfriends and he doesn't. 
And then they start going, <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. Your grandpa was a kamikaze pilot. I bet if you asked like an American, they wouldn't be able to tell the difference between a kamikaze pilot and like an Al Qaeda terrorist. <laughs> and then our, our hero proudly stands up at the table and goes, no, there is a difference. Oh my like god. Kamikaze pilot suicide bomb. They're attacking weapons of mass destructions like oh ships. My god. Oh my god. <laughs> when when, ter- go. when terrorists do it, they're hurting <laughs> civilians. It's so bad. Oh um no. uh you then you, you I'm just going to fucking spoil this movie. This is a horrible movie. You should not hang watch on, it. Hang on, hang on. They let this man make a Godzilla movie? Yes. And it was all right? Yeah. Okay. Um <laughs> I I you know, I haven't watched that movie so I haven't listened to your podcast yet, but I will when I do. <laughs> so, here's also the other thing that makes me believe, okay, I think this guy is trying to make good after making this horseshit. Uh, he also made a Lupin movie where the antagonists were Nazis or like neo-Nazis oh, I haven't do, seen. He, it. Well, he did the first, right? Yes. That's, that's honestly that, uh, I think that's one of the better Lupin movies. I would know. So, so the, the other, the other thing, the other thing I know about that is that um, Nazis just uh, like keep turning up. Yeah, in, there's in a lot of Nazis in, especially part two. Um, mm-hmm. th- there are multiple times where Hitler, where Lupin disguises himself as Hitler to catch <laughs> someone. So, the thing, <laughs> it, there's an interview. And I believe it was actually with an American site when the when the first was like coming out or whatever. And they're like, so why did you decide on antagon? Like, why did you decide that Nazis were going to be the antagonist? And he was like, I feel like the right is just ruining people's lives. And I really wanted to make a movie about that, like sort of thing or whatever. So like, what? at the very least in public, he's making statements like that. Yeah. Um, what? What this man make a, make make a movie about heroic kamikaze? I think he's just, yeah, I guess I can. I, I, can I, I, I just genuinely stupid. think he's a dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> he was too. He was too stupid to make. Yeah. <laughs> he was so stupid. He accidentally made a movie about how noble and heroic it is to be a kamikaze pilot. <laughs> he, he 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 fixed it with Godzilla, mostly. <laughs> yeah, mostly. Okay. Um. So, at the end of this fucking movie, you learn that, um, this guy chooses to swap planes with another pilot because he knows that his plane is defective and is gonna have to make a crash landing. So he saves another kamikaze pilot's life because he's younger, like, he's like 18 or something, and he's like, okay, you have a full life ahead of you, I'm like an old, weary, like, war veteran at this point. So he he causes the guy who's young and really wants to prove himself like, oh, I'm going to die for our country sort of thing, even though we're losing. Uh, he forces him to swap planes and, and he crashes and he's like, no, you saved my life, but I wanted to die for my country. No. And then the final bit of the movie is this man diving into a fucking American aircraft carrier in the most lovingly rendered detailed possible with a smirk on his fucking face. Oh my um, god. It's bad. It's really bad. Um, and, uh, it, I, honestly, though, like, so much of this movie is in Godzilla Minus One, but it just goes harder on, okay, we're not going to act like anything involving the entire kamikaze operation was heroic or noble. Um... I mean, 
this movie does also kind of do the thing where it's like, okay, these these were people that were like indoctrinated basically into uh, like sacrificing their lives uh, for an obviously losing cause and, you know, horrendously mistreated by the government sort of thing. Um, but uh, much more different attitude towards the, you know, Imperial Japan overall, I would say. Um, would it be? Godzilla. Oh, go ahead. Would it be terrible and like I need to I need to gauge uh this uh how terrible would would it be terrible and irresponsible uh to edit the, the the actual scene uh where he crashes into the aircraft carrier uh with um uh melting into the galaxy into the image of the galaxy with you <laughs> <laughs> that that it honestly feels like it's trying to go for that. <laughs> It's really bad. Like oh, he no. he gets like a fucking charaznable smirk as the last shot of the movie as he's about to fucking kill himself to blow up this American ship. Um, it's uh, uh, you can never be. Uh, I can't. No, I can't spoil victory. <laughs> <laughs> you could never be that guy. You're too yeah. late. Um. So yeah, dog shit movie. Don't recommend. Um. Happy that guy didn't double down, I guess. <laughs> um, God damn. Yeah. That's wild. Uh, speaking of dog shit movies. Uh-oh. Uh, I watched A Battle in Outer Space. I did, and I fell asleep to that yeah. movie. <laughs> I literally woke up a few hours ago to record this podcast and went, ah, oh, fuck, I fell asleep like 10 minutes in. Uh, yeah, it's not very good. No, I don't think I'm gonna try watching it again. I think I'm just gonna skip on right past that. Yeah, one. it's like it's so much nothing. Like I, I, I can't even remember what was in that movie. Like, uh, aliens come. I've attempted to watch it twice now. It's not held my attention yeah, either yeah. time. I, I, we can skip it. There's not even a kaiju in it. There's like aliens. Yeah, yeah. We'll, I'll remove it. We can go to Gorath next. I think that's the one that's next. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of battles in outer space, I have more mm-hmm. on myself later. But anyway, go continue. I've watched <clears throat> Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire. Yo! Sometimes now, Zack Snyder... did he cook? No. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes Zack Snyder goes, I want to make Star Wars. And Disney go, no. And then he go, well... Guess I'm going to make one anyways. I'm just going <laughs> to... This is going to make a little different. Um... Rebel Moon Part One: A Child of Fire. I'm gonna say the full moon, the full full moon, the full name every time. Uh, is someone going? I mean, yeah. What if we took Star Wars, but we we like made it feel really anachronistic, where some dudes are just instead of having like the the weird out there Star Wars robes and fashion and stuff. Sometimes people are Nazi uniforms. Sometimes they look like Viking villagers out of fucking Skyrim or something. Sometimes it's just a dude in a white shirt and a tie tucked into his pants. Uh, it's really weird. I don't think I quite like the visual design. Um, it's also trying to be Seven Samurai, uh, where it's kind of doing the basic A New Hope space opera setup, but then it's like if Han Solo turned to the rest of the party when they left the cantina and he went hey i know like five guys that i think would really help us out here want to go like let's just let's just go grab them fuck it 
and you get like five scenes back to back of introducing you to these people that don't seem related at all, but it's just like, ah, trust me, they're cool guys, and they get their badass action scene, uh, and then they go fight the space Nazis who are extremely Warhammer coded. Um, it it is extremely inorganic and maybe the least charisma out of a like for like an adventure movie you really want that party to feel like a found family or like a ragtag bunch of misfits that all bounce off each other well there is zero charisma in this movie i can't tell you half these people's names uh at some point they reference that one of those dudes is a prince and that never comes up again um it's it's not good. The slow-mo is the worst it's ever been. If, if that shit drives you nuts with, nuts with uh, Snyder movies, it's it's horrible here. Um, like, it feels like he's making fun of himself in and, and certain battle scenes. Um, I can't wait to watch part two with my friends so that we can make fun of it as well. I got a tongue claim to you guys. I, I just assumed Robo-Boom was actually a Star Wars thing. I didn't know it was its own IP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's uh it's it's just uh I'm taking my ball and making the thing with the numbers filed off. That there has there has to be a new story in sci-fi space opera. There has to be one. We haven't found it yet, but it has <laughs> to exist. Uh we just need more people to get on God Emperor of Dune and then Elon Dune. Actually that's not a new yeah. story. That's just like No. Guy I think at some point someone is going to discover sci-fi pulp magazines from the 1920s or old serials and is like, wait a minute. That's where he got all that shit from. What if I also did that? What if I reference mm-hmm. things and not just like Star Wars the original again? stuff was referencing instead of the thing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm going to skip one of these things on my list, actually. I played Titan Souls. It was on my backlog bingo. I thought it was kind of mid. It's an indie game from like 2013 or something. Damn. It's very Rip. It's Rip. like what if what if Shadow of the Colossus by way of a link to the past? But um it's just kind of boring. Rip. There's like yeah. lo- almost no story there. What was there I wasn't impressed by. It's it's supposed to be like a vibes game, I guess. So you're there for the atmosphere, but when your atmosphere is just like oh I made a pixel art kind of Zelda looking thing, I'm just like so did 30 wow. million other people. Yeah, I was like, wow, and... I've never seen that before. Holy shit. Um, this is made by like three people, so I want to be kind of nice. But also I'm just like, it's, I don't know. I will never think about this game again. Um, Damn. You know what I did? You know what I will think about? What? In my gaming achievements throughout history? What? Uh, uh, finally finishing the Shiori route in Tokimeki Memorial. Let's go. I still need to play this. I did it. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's a good time. Um, RNG can fuck you over hard. It is kind of miserable. Um, so I did. So uh, I've been working at this, I, I guess, ever since the, the translation dropped. And I've basically only been st- uh, playing this game when streaming it to friends over Discord over the past like year and a half ish or so. Um what actually helped me out was this advice I had discovered uh, many, like, a, a long time ago that I'm going to post in our group chat if one of you wants to read it. Okay, uh, let me... <laughs> <clears throat> uh, so responding to a thing saying, I wonder if Shuri has some kind of event prerequisite. Uh, Brad the Bingle. 
Uh, okay, I think I may have cracked the code. I'm being too nice to women. <laughs> so, the what I needed to internalize to get Shiori is that in this game, if 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 she, you make the women mad, so okay, I should explain how this game works. She 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 likes she likes a meme, is what you're saying. <laughs> yes. So, here's the thing. Okay, not doesn't like them mean. It 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 it's a delicate balance. So Ooh, this game okay. has a system called the bomb system, which basically means if you start to ignore or mistreat the various girls you can date in this game, a bomb will will be lit on their relationship chart. Uh, and keep in mind, checking if there's a bomb going off or not is you. This is a this is a a day by day like calendar game where. You pick what you do at the start of the day, and then your stats go up and down as a result. You also can go on dates. But one thing you can do is you can call your weird, creepy friend who gives you all of the details you need to know about the girls and also lets you check if there are any rumors being spread about you at school. Uh And you, you have to spend an entire day calling him to check your relationships. And if you see a bomb icon, that means you need to do something to make that girl happy soon, or else she is going to talk mad shit about you and your relationship with every other person in the game will tank. Um, you, you cannot let a single bomb go off. Um, the thing about bombs is that if the woman has a neutral opinion of you, their bombs take a long time to go off and they are more they are, they are less likely to even have a bomb in the first place because they just don't give a shit about you. If you're mean to them or you're constantly blowing them off or choosing the wrong dialogue options, they'll go into a like they'll start to dislike you. And that will make their bombs more likely to happen and will happen. They'll blow up faster. However, you have to be careful because if they like you too much and then they feel like they're being ignored by you, they also I will see. get bombs faster and will blow up faster. Cle- clearly, so you- this game proves that the opposite of love isn't hate, but apathy. Yes, you just need to be the most milk toast, lukewarm motherfucker with the most boring opinions to everyone else other than Shiori. And that's how that's how I finally succeeded after, like, I want to say, like, a, a maybe over a dozen runs yeah. of trying to get so infamously really hard. So you did have to be a Nasu protagonist. Yeah. 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 Like I, I, my understanding of Shiori is, like, she's, like, the final boss because, like, basically everything, like, to, to, to date her, you basically need to be nice to everyone, but not enough that they like you too much or hate you too much so you get, like, blown up or go down their route. Uh, mm-hmm. So yes. you literally like a mastery of the game's mechanics. It is it is ridiculously hard to balance. I think. Uh, so I this think was it... this is this is the meme. This is the uh, the post where it's like like jig, jigsaw trap. Uh, hello, uh, VN uh, VN developer. Yes. <laughs> uh, you recently you recently <laughs> said that your game is not like other dating <laughs> games. Uh, we need you, uh, you in front of you is Tokimeki Memorial. Please complete the Shiori route in one try. <laughs> um, yeah, impossible. Yeah. Uh, I should play this. I I remember you helped me figure out how to set up the. The, the, the patch, patch yeah uh, i know it's not le- less than ideal because i know the super famicom version is 
pared down compared to like the PS1 or Saturn or PSP versions, which I think are definitives. But those are not the ones that have patches, sadly. So you know. Yeah. Also, I do think uh, I do think it's funny that like Yoshiori is the mascot of the first game, but like she's put there as like a the ultimate goal you have to reach the final boss. Uh, and in contrast, uh, for what I've seen in the second game, they do the reverse where the mascot girl is like the easiest one to get. Uh, but because of that, she impedes your other routes by being too easy to get. <laughs> I, I have um, I, I I Google her, and one of the first images I see is her holding a bomb. Yes, yes. There's a, there's uh, a reason think... that they did that. Uh, they did a Shiori Bomberman well, along with uh, the other Konami Bomberman, oh, including a Luke Up Light, the War yeah. Criminal from Suikoden Two, which is really funny to me. <laughs> um, I feel like the overall message I took away from Tokimeki Memorial is that you should not date someone who requires three years of working on yourself just so that uh, <laughs> they'll they'll be like, okay, yeah, finally, let, let, let's let's do this. No. I, I think maybe you should not change yourself over the course of three years yeah. uh, for someone else's standards. I don't think that's good. Yeah. I think... I think... <laughs> I don't think it's a good model for how to actually do a relationship, but I do think the idea that like the relationship sim is interesting mechanically, and that's why I want to explore the genre. Yeah. Um I think they're they're also probably like, this is the first one. And it's like like not not the first first one, but it's like the big first big one, and they're like different takes and iterations of the genre. Uh mm-hmm. I do think it's too long. I think the you get you start to get repeat dates very fast. Yeah. With all of the girls. Um, and that's... It kind of makes replaying it to get, like, Shiori, like, a little frustrating. Because it's just like, I'm not even reading anything that's going on at this point. Uh, and it just becomes fully mechanics-driven in a way that uh, I feel like kind of kills the story. Um, yeah. What is there, but, you know. And like that's a- you know, for the, for, for the first go-around, yeah. it, it's a pretty solid and game. And, like, I know 2 is, like, supposed to be an even better game. And then there are, like, different takes on the genre by, like, different companies, so. Yeah, I I did, uh, I did promise, uh, my friend, uh, because, uh, we, I don't want to say we were in a race to get Shiori, but, like, she, uh, is really big on, like, the Tokimeki Memorial girl side games, where you play as a girl and you need to romance a bunch of boys, uh, and those have been translated for, like, yeah. ever. Um, I imagine those are, like, she, I imagine those are, like, a ma- if for some reason they happen compared to like the other games and apparently like the mainline franchise basically died after the third game was bad mm-hmm. uh, and then meanwhile the girl side games kept it alive and i assume were like more mechanically refined because they just kept that so something that was interesting is she so she she has a lot of experience with the series just playing through those games and she was like okay like let, let's see how hard this whole Shiori thing is. And she was like, oh my god, this is actually this is more intense than anything in any of those other games. Um, but uh, she, she after I got Shiori, I was like, okay, I think I'm fucking done with Tokibaki. And she's like, you should play some of the girl side games. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should. Yeah, I I'm think, gonna romance like, some boys. I feel like it'd be interesting just to, just to compare because like, see how they evolve. Because obviously this is like not just after like one, but after two. So like there's like, and two is supposed to be a lot more user friendly and just better than one. So mm-hmm. it might be it's probably a smoother experience for you. From from what because I've I've seen her stream some of them before. It seems like and this might just be the girl side, but like I 
it seems like there's a bit more like customization options in terms of like, oh, what are you wearing to dates and like what what does your room look like? Like all that sort of stuff. Um, so I think that definitely becomes more of an element there too. And I from what I remember seeing, it seemed like there's more mini games than the original too. That's cool. So um, Yeah. Uh, I'll these... play Tokimeki Memorial's Girl Side eventually. There are so many boys. Um, yeah. they made a lot of these games yeah there's like three games i think even a fourth one on the switch like somehow it, mm -hmm. it's alive yeah Damn. no like um like you said they they get translated with much greater frequency and from what i understand the otome game community really likes them, yeah like so. we don't have a translation of the best version of one and also we don't have a translation of two so you know yeah it's good to be careful. Can I just say, because some people, when the translation of one for SNES came up, were just like, oh, well, why even bother? And it's like, I would much rather have a yeah. not great version of a game playable than none at all. Yeah, Thank you like, very much. I'm like, <laughs> I, sh I should probably just play it because it's a way to play the game, even though it's less ideal. Because I feel like like turning my nose at like the people who did the work. Like, frankly, I'm, I'm, I imagine it's just like easier to do the Super Famicom version than like the PS1 version. Uh, yeah. Which probably contributes to it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Alright. That's it for me. Yeah. Uh Mel, what you been up to? Alright. Uh turns out it, it making up the debt of not doing anything during exams, I've accrued a substantial list of things, and I will get through a bunch of them quickly. because uh, okay. some of them I would talk about more than others. Uh Alright. One. Macro seven is done. For real, for real. For real, for real. Uh, Did you finish all the ex all the ex the OVAs and stuff? Yeah, and I also finished the compilation movie featuring the Macross Frontier cast, which, uh, you know, gotta be honest, I sped through because a lot of it is just, it is a compilation movie. Uh, uh, I have one question before you talk, before you mention anything else about this. Uh, yeah. Did you or did you not watch the bad OVA that everyone yes. hates? Or do you regret it? Yes. <laughs> okay I, I will i will simply try i do not have the curiosity when i watch macro 7 i will simply not watch yeah. dynamite so i will real quick uh i take a refresh on the plot from the compilation movie uh but also it did make me realize that i didn't actually i don't need to talk about the macro 7 plot like it's not the point of the show <laughs> it's really not uh it's about the show you got this cool rock band uh they're in space they're all doing macro stuff uh, the new enemy shows up and they beat them with magic. That they do the macros thing, uh, and the characters are good. And like the plot isn't like it's not it's not a bad plot, but just like you know, it's not the point of the show. The point is like it's more of a cool hangout show. It's a lot more episodic because like fifty episodes, uh, and you know you just like the characters and the adventures they kept with. Um, and like the movie is basically like a it's a thirty minute movie, so it's like basically a glorified episode that's really cool. And then the encore OVAs are like you know basically. These are episodes that could have fit in the show, to be honest. Like, they, mm -hmm. they're they're good. They're good content, and like you know, you like casts. You like, I think like, Macro Seven having its own identity because it's like more of a rock band show than like an idol music show was also cool. Uh, and so yeah, it's cool. I like the way that the the requisite love triangle works out, uh, and that it doesn't, uh, <laughs> because. Uh, Maylene, who's like the lead girl, and Gamblin, the really stern military guy voiced by Kayasu, who comes around to the power of music and the friend group, uh, both clearly like each other, uh, but also Maylene likes Basara. Uh, and in my head, Kalyan, Gamblin also likes Basara. 
Uh, but Bastar is also the most uh, asexual, aromantic guy alive who's just there to jam. Uh, to I see. The, to point that girls will hit on him. Uh, and he will not only be annoyed, but also confused. And he's like, I don't know what you're doing. I'm just trying to jam. <laughs> just leave. King. <laughs> uh, and he's, uh, it's good. Uh, but yeah. Dynamite is bad. Uh, I, I, I was warned beforehand and I watched it for completionist's sake because I wanted to know and I can confirm it's just really boring and also uh, episode 2 is like a sexual assault out of nowhere and it's like why uh-huh. uh, and yeah it's just, it's just not good it doesn't really feel in the spirit of Macro 7 and it's just not worth your time um, would you say it bombed for you? yeah fire bomber yeah, yeah. Uh, and also the the compilation movie was a fun way to reacquaint myself with the Macro Stranger class, because I have to go back to the Frenchie movies now, because I've seen the series only. Uh, but it is funny that the the framing device in that movie is just, like, the cast keeps getting these weird tapes that are, like, supposed to be found footage of what happened to Silent Bomber. Uh, but in practice, it's just getting VHS tapes of the episodes of Macro 7, the show. <laughs> it's funny. That's really funny. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Don't watch Dynamite. Uh, but do watch Macro 7. Yeah, watch Macro 7. And, you know, watch the movie, watch the uh, Encore OVAs. I'll get there someday. I have a, I have a big file of Macro I have a Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> I keep saying... You, you can, how can you get them with Harmony Gold? You can't. It's okay. I, st- I, I, made, I uh, stole it um, from... Listen. Uh, yeah. I, uh... You need to forgive me, but I did kickstart Macross too. That's fine. <laughs> I, that's fine. You're allowed. You're it allowed. Was from the wizardry Fr- guy. Frankly, Macross two better than Macross seven Dynamite. <laughs> wow! Damn. Ooh. Uh, because Macross. <laughs> I, I don't care about Macross two. Uh, well, Macross seven Dynamite uh, upsets me. Okay. Uh. Anyway, real, real, real quick. Finished Book of the New Sun completely. Uh, it was cool. I won't talk about it too much. I think I liked the start earlier on when there's a lot more world mystery. Where are we going? Uh, the last book mm-hmm. is making a conclusion. Like the the fourth book, so literally Autark is like, oh, we're going somewhere, which means it's tying up loose ends and stuff like that. And sometimes it feels a bit too cute and does you know sometimes the questions are more interesting than the answers, kind of thing. Uh, but mm-hmm. still, you know, I think there's still good vibes and stuff that make the first the main the main four books are worthwhile uh meanwhile the fifth book earth of the new sun that he did as a coda after uh sucks uh it's boring <laughs> uh and he tries too much to tie everything into a neat bow in a plan including stable time loops and it sucks uh oh. and i enjoyed more listening to the summary of it on shelf by genre than i did actually listening to the audiobook which i basically forgot half of uh, as soon as it entered my ear uh, I need to read those books so I can listen to the episodes I did not feel good venturing into because I was like, I'm listening to too many of these without reading the fucking yeah, books. Yeah, I, I, I basically got like three episodes into the Shadow of the Torture one and I was like, maybe I should just actually read these. And so I read the book and re-listened to those episodes and then I started being current with it. I will read Earthsea with yeah, them. Yeah, though. I'm, I'm happy they're doing. I mean, they're reading. They're reading Earthsea. Hell yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm glad they're doing because I already like. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go between. I'm gonna do Earthsea as my own project, and I read the first one last year. But now they're like, oh, yeah, I don't have to. They're doing it, so I can just go back to that. 
Tombs um, of Atuan is maybe my favorite fantasy novel. It's it's between that and A Wizard of Earthsea. Yeah. Um, they're both they're fantastic. I I still haven't read the fourth book, um, which I've heard is good. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, because Earth the Shelby genre is finished that, and they're taking a bit of a break, and it won't be it'll be like a, two weeks from now when they actually get to Earthsea. And I also read the first book of Earthsea, so I don't need to re-listen to it. Uh, I finished off another book that I was like halfway through uh, and put on hold because I kept having to go through Book of the New Sun to keep on top of the podcast. Uh, I finished uh, Endymion, the follow-up book, uh, first start of a duology, follow-up Tiberian duology book. Oh, is this... Oh, so is it, by now, fully off the rails uh, into... Uh, uh, shit that kind of sucks or uh, is it good i think i overall enjoyed it more than fall maybe question mark i feel like it's a bit more simplistic i feel like he has not gone full crazy right ringer alex jones yet uh i know that's coming and i'll prepare myself but for now like i think <laughs> you can still tell when things certain things happen that he's clearly that kind of guy uh and we'll get yes. to that but like basically the setup is uh it's like 200 years after the fall of hyperion you know uh after the extremely you know technocratic liberal empire fell uh and the new empire is uh uh the catholic church which is now <laughs> taken over the universe uh by monopolizing I love shin megami tensei too uh by monopolizing a cursed form of resurrection introduced in the first book uh though apparently the book also is like oh by the way uh the the evil robot network uh, is probably involved with this as well uh and basically the protagonist is a guy called Raul Endymion uh spelt Raul but the novel goes I would say it's rhymes with Paul which is funny um mm-hmm. and he's just like a he's like a backwater guy uh who also is well read on the classics as every good protagonist of this guy is I'm sure uh gets Kills a guy who doesn't die because, you know, he's part of the church. Because uh, that's just... When you're in the church, yeah, you get a free ticket to resurrection, basically. Uh, and so... He gets, like, Damn. busted out of prison by uh, the poet from the first book who's been alive through technological means. And he's like, hey, can you go rescue my goddaughter? Because she's the chosen one, basically. Uh, because the fun thing about Fall of Hyperion is to dare to ask the question, what if real-life 19th century poet Jonathan Keats was the Kwisatz Haderach? Uh, and the answer is <laughs> he see. isn't. Uh, specifically, his clone, by the way. Uh, but his daughter is, uh, and she's come back. She went through some time travel shit, and now she's here. And Roll and like this robot guy has to go basically go travel around the galaxy. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, the church is like, well, we can't have this girl, so they send uh, the top guy, Father Captain DeSoya. Uh, that is his rank. He yes, he's basically given like, hey, you have to go catch this guy. And so this novel split between two narratives, which is uh, the protagonist as they try and basically end up going down a raft because I forgot to mention this in the first few books. Like there's like they use portals, right, to teleport. Uh, and using portal technology, they basically made like a multi-planetary river. Uh, and so now the protagonists are like basically on a raft going down the river through the galaxy, but like the portals are only working for them because like you know the point of the last book mm-hmm. was the portals ended. So meanwhile, uh, everyone else is using you know time dilation ships, you know normal space travel, 
uh, and the church takes advantage of their monopoly on uh, resurrection to be like, hey, this ship will go so fast, the G-forces will kill you. Uh, but it's fine, because you'll just resurrect. Uh, so it's a cool world building like that. And it's, you know, it's not amazing, but it was enjoyable, I think. Uh, a, bit, a bit of goofiness, because like, oh man, the church is evil, but also maybe not really. There's like corruption underneath, separate from the church, and you know, all the also, the protagonists are boring, to be honest. I feel like I got more enjoyment no. out of, like, the, 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 the guy who is on the church side, who's, like, the good cop, uh, who also, incidentally, uh, keeps failing upwards because things keep happening because they're the protagonists that let them get away. And then the church is, he's like, oh, man, I'm going to get, like, excommunicated or executed for this. And then the church's like, well, no one could predict this, so we're giving you more papal authority, actually. Like, he's some crazy Catholic Jared who's not a bad person. Oh yeah. Love this guy. I've never met this guy. I love this guy already. <laughs> uh, but yeah, his perspective gets a lot more like the internal church politics, which is a lot more interesting. And meanwhile, the protagonists are protagonists. Uh, there's a bit in the middle where they enter Ice Dune, where they meet, like, it's an ice planet, and they, they meet, like, very obvious naked like inuit analogs with all the baggage that comes with especially from a person with dan simmons politics uh mm -hmm. uh that's a cool bit uh i don't know there's a cool some cool team ups at the end it's like it's decent it's like fun enough i'll read the next one uh mm -hmm. yeah some people but hate not, this one not, not... oh okay uh, yeah some people hate this one uh and but you know i think it's it's fine enough Schlocky, it's but, it's yeah. fine. It's it's fine, but not operating on the levels of big brained as Hyperion. Yeah, Hyperion is definitely like a more interesting, and then like Hyperion is definitely a more unique work and more interesting. And I do think like the Galaxy War of Fall of Hyperion was less interesting compared to like this slightly more personal narrative. Uh, the one mm -hmm. side of that narrative is like carrying the other one, basically. Um, also, there's like a weird, uncomfortable sort of Damocles where, like, you know, Roll is feels a bit like, a, you know, much like a Sony first party protagonist, like a father figure to uh, the girl. Uh, <laughs> but because he's writing the narrative, like, the framing device is like the Roll side is first person perspective, like he's writing a memoir, and then the other side is like third person perspective, which I think is fun. But he's like writing for the future, and he just will just throw out sometimes, like, yeah, we become lovers later. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> oh. No. no. <laughs> uh, oh man. Yeah. God. I. You know, authors be like this. Yeah. <laughs> this the cover is also really cool. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's just like them riding on the raft, and like the strike is there, and that does happen in the book. And I'm like, that's cool. I have not seen this. Um, yeah, let me try and find it. Yeah, there we go. I think you posted it to Twitter, yeah, right? Yeah, it's on media thread. Uh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. I probably didn't. See it, that. it does. It's a good cover. Yeah, the covers for these books are pretty good. Nothing. It's very of the era in a way yeah, I appreciate. This, this, I like me some good paperback, uh, like sci-fi. Yeah, I love art. the '80s and '90s uh, Dune covers the best. Uh, this one, by the way, was a, the Indian Duology. By the way, written like ten years after Hyperion Duology. Uh, bo both both cases just... where he clearly just split up one really big book into two smaller books. Uh, they they were published like I'm a year apart in each duology, but like you know, yeah. But also, yeah, I'm gonna uh, take a break from fall. Uh, well, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna go to the next book yet because one, 
Um, I want to do foundation because that was less than almost reading. Uh, and also, like, you know, this book, this audiobook was still long, and I'm like, it took me a while. It, it, I had to, like, really push myself to finish it because I wanted to finish it before the new Shell by Geronis season started. So, uh, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, these are hefty, hefty audiobooks. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, I think I'm going to try to read 12 books this year. We'll see if I can do it. Mel, can I just say I've been scrolling through your Twitter to try to find through your infinite retweets to try to find uh, this media uh, media thread, um, and uh, I'm glad you also noticed that Ueno was still thirsty. <laughs> we're, we'll get to that. <laughs> it was the funniest thing in that episode. <laughs> I was, I was it took me out. Oh, there's that. There's the, yes, you found the image. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Uh, this does look fantastic. Um, Okay. Uh, right. Also, switching from books to gaming. Uh, gaming. So, away from the PC for a while, so I did some Switch gaming while I was my parents' face. I finally finished a game I really wanted to finish for a while, which is Kirby and the Forgotten Lands. Uh, oh, yeah. I remember. How was couple, it? People like that game. A couple years old. It was really good. Uh, I basically, like, had halfway finished it before, and, like, in, like, December, I think I got to the credits and beat the final boss to do the main story but as with more modern kirby games you're like two-thirds of the way done when you reach credits so you gotta do like the completion stuff the extra post game harder stuff which is an actual challenge and then like the true final boss is at like the end of the true boss arena kind of shit and yeah it's pretty good i like the stuff they're doing it's interesting as like a first attempt at kirby in 3d uh because you know all of them are in 2d up until this point uh but i think they do it well uh, I like the really leading to like the I like what they do for the final boss because they all, they always have an Eldritch Horror as the final boss. Uh, unexpected use of English language uh, tour guide to the laboratory <laughs> in the mm -hmm. the end part of the game. Uh, but uh, also the final power you get because you can upgrade abilities in this game, uh, is pretty busted, because you have a teleport dash, and it heals when you hit an enemy. So that's how I beat the true final boss. I'm sure I could probably feel accomplished by doing it otherwise. Uh, but I beat the true final boss, and I was like, I'm okay. Win's a win. Win's a win. Yeah. Like, the idea of being like a Kirby combat sicko is appealing, because, you know, secretly Kirby's also beat him up series. Uh, but I, don't, mm -hmm. I wanted to finish the game more than anything, so... Yeah, good. Very good game. Looking forward to what they do because I feel like I also feel like alluding to the the you know beat 'em up influences. I feel like the two D games they started getting like a lot a pretty sizable move repertoire uh, by like the robot star allies side of things, and it feels like they reset a bit with three D land or three D. By forgotten land, they the kind of reset land. a bit because yeah. they you know first attempt to three D. I'm hoping like you know. As we get more games like this, they'll like expand the move repertoire and get more interesting abilities kind of stuff. Yeah, and you're you're kind of like you're on board for the ride. You're not having to catch up. Yeah, like I know Kirby's Kirby's good. He's pretty nice. Like I feel like I feel like I was kind of let down by Star Allies, but I also feel like I had a lot of good stuff and sauce in it. Especially if you're like a you're like the person who like pops off for the references because I do 
Oh, yes. I'm the person who pops off when that thing from that one game in Kirby is like, oh, hey, they're the character from 10 years ago. Uh, because uh, turns out the new president since uh, for 10 years, the new director of the series for 10 years is also the person who's a big Kirby's lore head. Nice. Uh, I, 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 I never finished Robobot. I need to get back to it and then catch yeah, up at some point. I, I, really, I really like the DS games. Triple Deluxe and Robobot, I think, are some of the best games. And... I think Star Allies is still worth a visit. Um, but yeah, the final bosses in these games are pretty sick. The, I, I don't know if you've seen the final boss of Robobot, and I won't spoil it for you, but I have it not. is uh, really cool what they do for that final boss fight. I uh, I want them to bring back power mixing from uh, 64 again. I think that'd be really I fun, think only, especially if they... The only issue with that is I feel like that's... Because like they they do like a mild version of that, which isn't really that in Star Allies. It's more like you know, elemental yeah. equ- elemental applications onto weapons. Uh, but mm. pow- real power mixing, I think, will require like sc- scaling down the number of abilities that unique abilities that they have, and then also like trying to create interesting moves for all of them, kind of thing. Yeah, and that was definitely a reason. Like, I mean, there's a lot of superstar fans who do not like. 64 as a result because yeah. it is kind of stripped out because of that but yeah i uh I, I simply like it when i can turn into a refrigerator and then shoot out food that hurts enemies and then i can heal myself with the food i shoot yeah, out. yeah i think it'd be interesting if it i mean you can't do that in this game actually because there's mouthful mode but you know um, yeah which is amusing mouthful mode yeah when kirby like latches onto a car and drives yep. the car it that's mouthful mode yeah His i like i like full. i like in this game that like the collectibles are like waddle d's are captured and it's sort of like a collecticon type thing where you do a mission in a level like an achievement in a level and it'll unlock you'll you'll get a waddle d out of it and then as you get more waddle d's they like build up the town that's like the hub world kind of thing it's nice mm-hmm. it's cool stuff cool video game they're doing good like how how's all right yeah yeah and fine all right Oh, one more thing. Yeah. I finished an RPG. An RPG? Yeah. Which one? Xenosaga Episode 1, Derils are Mocked <laughs> for the PlayStation the... 2. Uh, is it... Now, is it an amazing opening to a really long-running series uh that has like full like 10 game epic that it definitely got <laughs> all the games no <laughs> what is what is it all right so let me let me set the stage for what um for what Xenosaga is the game developed by the new studio monolith soft after basically the xenogears team left square um and basically the story takes place in 4,767 TC after humanity has gone to space after discovering a monolith called the Zohar. Uh, TC, by the way, means transcend Christ. So just so you know. <laughs> Hell yeah, we're gaming. Uh, <laughs> I'm always doing this. Uh, the protagonist is a girl called Shionazuki uh, who works at a company called Vector who works at the Galactic Federation, uh, making, they're specializing in a product called, they basically specialize in something called Reallians, which are artificial humans 
uh, which are used to fight the Gnosis, which is a weird alien threat that is not tangible to humans. Uh, Xion, bless her, uh, put it in the chat. The girl with zero work-life balance. She is in her work uniform the entire game, uh, married to the job. Uh, she is also the head engineer on the Cosmos project, which is, you know, you know what Cosmos is. Uh, she's a robot girl who can... She's like a new Gnosis weapon who can make the Gnosis tangible to humans. Uh, and so, yeah, Cosmos can do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we find out really quickly that when Cosmos is a weapon, uh, they mean that that girl is a gun. She does not have human emotions. <laughs> or does she? <laughs> Question mark. We'll see. <laughs> um, Hell yeah. Also there is Alan. Uh, he's her co-worker, or Xion's co-worker. Uh, he's just a guy. He's not a party member. He's out of his depth. Uh, he's kind of a loser, but he, he's just there. He tags along the entire journey. Uh, <laughs> some point in like the first hour or so. This, this guy's nobody. Look at him. <laughs> uh, he looks sad to be alive. Uh, to be honest, <laughs> that's accurate. <laughs> uh, uh, wait, uh, update. There's apparently been a small earthquake in northern Wisconsin nearer my uncle lives. Henry, He's no. fine. <laughs> uh, uh, also, thank God your uncle's okay. Yeah. Yeah, earthquakes don't happen here. That's fucking weird. What's going? There is a kaiju. That's not normal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. There, there is there, the kaiju is a metaphor for um, uh, uh, ecological collapse. Anyway. Uh, anyway. At some point, Please continue with the, the RPG. Yes. Early on, uh, their ship gets attacked uh, and blown up, but they escape uh, and get picked up by some guy called Captain Matthews in like his rundown um, Cowboy Bebop scavenger ship. Uh, mm -hmm. Matthews is like working under an organization called the Kukai Foundation. To put a pin in that. Uh, okay. Also, uh, they they uh. Also on board is this guy called Chaos. Uh, what's his deal? Chaos! Fuck, I don't know. Uh, he's voiced by Kiri Yamato's voice actor. Uh, his, vo his, his name is in all lowercase. Uh, no idea what his deal is. He like, introduces himself, a Gnosis shows up, and he makes it disappear by touching it. And then someone's like, hey, how'd you do that? And he just shrugs and goes, well, hey, we're all good at something. Uh, and everyone just buys it, except for Alan specifically, who's like... That's not a fucking answer, but no one cares because he's Alan. Uh, <laughs> uh, meanwhile, at the same time this is happening, uh, at the capital of the Federation, 5th Jerusalem. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> the the uh, uh, A guy, a cyborg, uh, a product of the Human Recycling Act called Ziggurat 8, uh, later called Ziggy, get in that moment, uh, is being tasked to go catch a hundred series realian by the name of Moo, uh, because they're being he's being held hostage by an evil organization called Utic, whose plan I'm not sure yet, but I'm pretty sure involves either revolve, reviving or killing God, because that's how these games go. Uh, yeah, his also, legs. Oh, yeah, he's wild. a cyborg. He's a cyborg. Yeah, he's, he's like I love uh, I love the engines on his thighs. They're fantastic. As, he's like, as a reward for doing this job, I want to have my human memories erased so it can be all machines. Uh, 
no that's, idea what his deal cool is yet. Dude. Uh, anyway, Momo is uh, the girl being picked up. She's a prototype. She's like a special 100 series Realian. Uh, she can do magical transformations. It's a shame she's kind of useless in battle, so I didn't use her that much. Uh, Rip. She's also special because she, inside her brain, is implanted the memories of uh, the creator of the 100 series Realians, as well as the mad scientist who unleashed the gnosis on the universe, Yoakim Masarahi. Uh, and so they want her at. Holy shit. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, rounding out uh, the cast, the party members is uh, one of the head guys at the Kukai Foundation, uh, guy named Kukai Junior, aka Junior. Uh, who's Look like, at this little twop! <laughs> he's, got, he's the gunslinger. Uh, he bounces bullets off. Uh, uh, that's rolling dust chain coins to hit enemies. He can, he can zip uh, off his. Oh my god. He's he's officially on his knees. He's officially the son of Gainin Kukai, uh, the head uh, guy at the Kukai Foundation, which is an NGO dealt with uh, dealing with the twelve Zohar emulators, which are all named after uh, the twelve apostles of Jesus. Don't ask questions. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but also, he's, they're this, like, this little... yeah, being an NGO uh, costs a lot of money, so you also run businesses on the side, like just making speeches in space. Uh, and also being a PMC group, I guess. <laughs> uh, and then they're also fighting UTIC for their own reasons. And also, Junior flies a ship called the Durandal, uh, which does look like a sword. And yes, to you, yes! dear viewer, uh, they did, you know, do, they did uh, know the assignment. Uh, Holy uh, and shit. Yeah. That's... I love his cross, his cross, uh, his his T that he's he's got a cross on it, and it's tucked yeah. into he's tucked into his trousers. Yeah, uh, he says classical literature stuff a lot. He's basically uh, secretly him and despite the cover story of him being Gaiden's son, him and Gaiden are actually clone guys. Uh, uh, and like they have like themed naming of like the alchemical process to create the philosopher's stone. That's also Jungian psychology thing. Uh, Holy shit! So, like, oh, we're is... just throwing so many names at shit. Yeah, this is yeah. so good. Yeah. So his name is Rubeto, and then in Guinan's name, uh, let me get let me get him. Uh, his name is Nigretto because you know he's he's uh the black colored one. Uh, I see. Yes. Uh, let me fucking get it. Google. This this kid's design is fantastic. I yeah. hate, I hate, I want to punch him, and also he's cool as hell. Yeah. I think that song Jeremy from Pearl Jam was about this kid. <laughs> yeah, so, so here's... Uh, also, instantly, Guy and Kukai. I want this uh, kid, I want this kid to talk like Kuno from Disco Elysium. Yeah, he, he, here's, here's Guy and he's, he's voiced uh, by Togus as a voice actor, aka Spike Spiegel's voice actor, which is fun. Look at that suit. Uh, and then rounding out uh, the clone trio is one of the antagonists, uh, Albedo, who is also voiced uh, by Togusa slash Spike Spiegel's voice actor. Uh, nice. And he's a Joker sicko guy with Bacchano healing. Uh, Excellent. Oh, that was a good villain design. Yeah. Uh, and basically the plot of this is that uh, uh, Shion is tasked with bringing... Uh, Cosmos to the Vector headquarters on Second Milsha, which is a planet, uh, and also incidentally Shion's homeworld. 
uh, but also due to unrelated reasons that caused their past to cross, Ziggy is tasked with bringing Moho to Second Milsha. Uh, and so the two parties end up meeting in space, and they go on the same journey, and stuff happens as they get cut off in a billion different conspiracies with different organizations and lots of proper nouns. Uh, and also there are robots, but they're not very useful. This... Uh... uh... This sounds ridiculous. Uh, yeah. This sounds amazing. Uh, Where do you stand on the Gears versus Saga uh, debacle? Uh, well, are you going to hold? I'm, are you going to hold judgment, judgment you're because apparently uh, this was this is not only is this part one of a three part game series. Uh, they had they were clearly over ambitious when making this first game, and then clearly from what I hear got more realistic as the later series went on because this is apparently a very substantially small amount of what was originally <laughs> supposed to be the main story and I can kind of tell because it feels like a lot happens but also not a lot happens in this game also there's only nice. one battle theme and I'm putting in the chat that's a lie there's two battle themes one second the final boss fight but there's another battle theme for everyone else <laughs> oh yeah I, I know this YouTube channel as I once tweeted me ruled the world more like he posts the songs am I right gamers <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah. This is the one theme. Yeah, the one battle theme besides the final boss theme. Uh, so get used to it. Also, a lot of ambient noise instead of actual soundtracks when exploring the world, which is really linear. Like, there isn't a world, world map. Each chapter is basically on a different space station, and you're being loot. You bring jump from place to place with a bit of exploration, and at some points you can eventually get some backtracking. Uh, but yeah, it's a pretty linear game. Uh, mechanically, there's some ways where I feel like the basic ideas are expanding on and improving some of the ideas of Xenogears to be more pared down, but also clearly ideas with some lack of ability to execute all of them. Uh, it did mm -hmm. feel like at the end of the game I was just doing the dominant strategy of basic attacks because uh, you have you can string together certain moves to do techs. You have a set amount of AP per turn. Uh... And you can uh, get a bit more AP to do more, more stuff per turn, uh, to do cooler techs, uh, but yeah. It does feel like it, the game is more limited, despite like the different customization options. Uh, and also, by the end of the game, uh, it's extremely not balanced, where you have like five, uh, you have like four enemies who can all do multi-hit attacks, and they all go in a row. And also there's this mechanic called boosting, which you can do, which lets you take a turn whenever you want. But also the enemies could do this too. So sometimes you just get five enemies, in, five attacks in a row before you can do anything, where you just take 100 damage, and then you die in game over. And it's very fun. I really enjoyed that part of the game, to be honest. <laughs> uh, but can it's, it's, you... It sounds like you, can you, you might have Can you boost their boost? What'd you say? Would you say red? Oh, you can't. But. Oh, I said it sounds like you. It's, it sounds like you might have lied just now, it's like a little bit. Lied in what way? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just a bit, just a bit. I, I may, I may have to do the final dungeon. Uh, use some cheat codes to get me more experience when grinding. Uh, just to nice. make uh the last dungeon actually tolerable, which it was. I feel better for the game when I could like waltz through it a bit. Uh, but it is. I like the ideas on display mechanically, but it needs more time in the oven. And I know that uh, the, the, episode two apparently has a really more complex battle system that some people find frustrating. And then episode three is a lot more streamlined and simplistic. And we'll see how I feel about those. Uh, uh, but yeah, this is definitely a very interesting game. Uh, also... Mm -hmm. 
uh, I want to commend the cutscene work. Uh, they, there's a lot of um, stuff going on. I'm just gonna give you this late end game cutscene. I guess I'm basically I'm not spoiling the whole game. Uh, <laughs> this is this is a later cutscene. I, I mean, of... the the listener can't hear can't hear the cutscene. So yeah, yeah. So, uh, so the only the only people getting spoiled. Uh, I am probably not going to play this game. So I will I will yeah. just quickly. Brad, you can this. you can skip if you're going to play I'll, this, but yeah. Yeah, I'll skim just yeah. to see. This this is just a scene where you get to see Albedo be pure Joker mode because it's one of the most memorable cutscenes of the game. Oh, I've seen this before. Yeah. I didn't know it was from this. Yeah. The uh, this is uh, this is uh, I've just been skimming through this. This is very this is quite impressive. Uh, however, I will reveal uh, that I did accidentally sk- <laughs> I did accidentally skip to like the one up skirt in this whole thing. Uh, oh no! I, I completely forgot about that. Uh, I will say uh, there's probably a degree to which this scene in Alpedo in general can be uncomfortable, just from what I've discussed about with some people. Just because like oh, yeah. he's a guy who's like he's like eating memories basically of young rallying girls before killing them and and it can be read like a certain way yeah I, I feel like it can be read a certain way but also there's a degree which it feels like it's leaning into it like it's mm-hmm. it's not explicitly that way but like it is evoking a little bit and that leads to discomfort and i think they do a good job of that well also i can definitely see how like it is maybe not the most appropriate thing and that people would be like uncomfortable or this is excessive and exploitative and maybe the you know just you know content warning stuff like you can definitely see how that's a factor in that scene there so. yeah like 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 it it reads as like uh uh metaphor for sexual assault yeah yeah i i can see that and like it's it's worse because like his main means of like getting those memories is by like getting to a car end of eva sticking the hand oh, in. oh i see yes <laughs> uh, and no- notably the, there's censorship in like the North American and Japanese version of the cutscenes were in like uh, the Japanese version. He's got the knife and sticks his hand in full Gendo Akari style. But in uh, the uh, North American version, instead of like using a knife to cut off his hand and stuff, he uh, uses his hand to do it and also with his head. Uh, but also it doesn't see, have... Yes. It, and also he just hovers his hand. Uh, and also for whatever reason, despite... <laughs> Despite censoring the knife, uh, they don't feature what the Japanese version does, which is the classic shadow bars of censorship to avoid blood. <laughs> so it is oh, it is truly That's bizarre. Uh, it, no, I'll, again. Well, uh, but yeah, and uh, yeah, you can tell the cutscenes are really well done. I think they're pretty ahead of their time, uh, and it's a good thing too. Because you sure are going to be watching a lot of oh. cutscenes in this video game, uh, perhaps for sixty <laughs> minutes of it. Perhaps you'll spend like ten minutes doing some gameplay, uh, and then you'll watch forty minutes of cutscenes in a row while some really dense plot layers of cropper nouns are swung at you. And then I have to go, "What just happened? Can I play the game yet?" And then I have to read later what the fuck happened in this video game. <laughs> uh, and so yeah, I, between all that, it's like. The series has its hooks in me. It's very interesting to mm-hmm. think about. Uh, they're doing like interesting things. Like they're building off the Xeno gears and stuff with like the really explicit Christianity, Jewish mysticism, Gnosticism stuff combined with Jungian psychology shit. Like, because this this Takashi's jam and his wife's jam. Uh, but that'll be less relevant later on. We'll get to that eventually. But uh, yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. But also. Uh, yeah, the game has an in-game wiki, which I never looked at, which probably would help. But yeah, that just sit, you know, 
it is a kind of thing. It is a kind of game where there's just throwing a lot at you, and a lot of it is like there's a lot more cutscene than game in a lot of ways sometimes. And some of the game yeah. is like, especially in the end game, it feels like padding at times. It feels really slow. I feel like in battles, I had to speed up the game on the emulator just because it was like these animations take so long. It takes like five minutes to fight some enemies sometimes. Uh, and it's just like it is. It clearly had a trouble production, and I, that's going to be a thing that sticks with the series till the end, sadly. And it isn't really until, like, Nintendo where it seems like Monolith Soft is like, hey, we can just, like, take our time and put out a good game <laughs> that's, like, polished without maybe any mm-hmm. necessarily asterisks. Uh, so we'll see where I get to Xenoblade. But yeah, I'm curious to see where Xenosaga goes, but also I'm not diving into the second game yet. Uh, right. Which looks take out. a break. Yeah, I need to take a break. And it, it's very convenient that, you know, pretty short game so like the podcast of let's see retrograde amnesia is almost closing in on the end of the game themselves uh and they they for the first poll they did hey what should we do for season six and the first poll was like do we do episode two or do we do something else and something else won the poll uh and when i say something else i mean something else <laughs> they didn't specify All right. yet. uh deliberations are underway at the moment for what that is two of which are on my backlog bingo so that's fun so we'll see if that happens hey nice um, but yeah uh also as an addendum to that i also watched the xenosaga anime they did in 2005 uh which was an adaptation of this game which is done in preparation for the second game which came out a few months later and i cannot feel in good conscience like i can say that anime is good is very scuffed uh by Mm -hmm. toy animation by the way which is funny uh nice and but really really yeah it's it's kind of shoddy but i think it's interesting mm. as a companion piece to the original work also it it does just like put some stuff from the second game in a little bit uh because i find out that chaos has a relation to another character becomes a party member in the for second game uh, so I'm like okay well, i guess i know slightly more what chaos's deal now because i watched this anime uh thanks mm-hmm. also Jack Garland furious at this. Yeah. Game. Also, because you know, shouldn't be a spoiler that the mascot character doesn't die. So I'll just say this: at the end of the game, K- uh, Cosmos does two heroic sacrifices in a row in within the span of ten minutes and survives, and it's really funny. <laughs> nice. I I feel nice. like I feel like you shouldn't I feel like you shouldn't have the same character do that twice in a row. <laughs> <laughs> To be honest, probably shouldn't do that with any character twice in a row, but especially the same character. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, just as a note, one, I think a lot of the game is also going to be, like, going forward, is going to be the mystery of Cosmos, because a lot of the mystery of this game is, like, despite being the head developer of Cosmos, uh, Shion does not know what the fuck Cosmos' deal sometimes is. It's just like, hey, I didn't program that, and what the fuck is up with that? Uh, who put that in there? Was it my dead ex-boyfriend? Well, guess we'll find out. Uh, and yeah. I forgot to actually talk about she on herself. She, she's like... She's got trauma. Uh, and also she's like the naive girl who's like... Oh yeah, robots and fake humans are also humans. Uh, but will also not recognize their own complicity in their dehumanization when like she's like a reality and will say, Hey, I have like anxiety and stuff like that. And she's just like, Oh, so you have like a... Uh, uh, your your chemical, your endorphins are like this little unbalanced this way, and like instead of recognizing that they, you know, 
a human has anxiety. So, you know, there's interesting stuff going on. I think the game is like... It's, just, it's mm-hmm. difficult because it's like ha- it's like one fraction of an incomplete story uh, that is compromised, yeah. and this is really dense and a lot of proper nouns. But I think I can probably say the game is well written if a bit inscrutable. Uh, and we'll see okay. how it goes. But yeah, nice. That is Xenosaga episode yeah. one. I won't uh, dwell on that game uh, further. All right, sick. Wow. Uh, uh, listen, it was we had three weeks. It was Christmas break and New Year yeah. break. Um, you're not allowed to be mad at us for going for ninety minutes. Um, uh, technically only eighty five. Oh, technically only eighty five. Yeah. Um, so with that concluded, um, shall we talk about Ultraman? The return. Can I of request Ultraman. a quick break because my uncle really wants to fucking call me to tell me about this goddamn earthquake? Uh, yes, we can have a quick break. All right, Ultraman. Let me put this stuff away. Okay. Um, we're back. So, moving on to the return of Ultraman, episode thirteen. Terror of the tsunami monster. Tokyo in peril. Um, we were promised a tsunami that the special effects team put their whole ass into, and we got it. We fucking got it. Let me tell you, Captain Takamura, uh, a fisherman by trade, has been hired to transport precious gems. Uh, he sings a song uh, he learned while stranded on an island during the war um, in Southeast Asia. Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, do not ask him why he was there. Mm. <laughs> uh, a, a song about a creature named Simons. Um, suddenly, his ship is attacked by a kaiju the captain names Simons. Um, the MAT rescues the survivors, and among them is Takamura, uh, who has lost his memory. Uh, he's held responsible for the loss of the shipment, but he is unable to answer questions, only mentioning Simons. His daughter, Yoko, explains that Simons and Sigarath are kaiju from Southeast Asia. Uh, she believes these two to be responsible for the incident. Uh, for some reason, the press find the idea of a kaiju ridiculous. Yeah, uh, Yuna makes a point of saying, hey, most people haven't seen a kaiju. I'm like, what? The fuck are you talking about? <laughs> what, what do you, you mean, mean most Tokyo? people haven't seen a kaiju? <laughs> so stupid. Um, and Yoko and Takamura's only hope left is the MAT. Uh, the team listens to a recording of the song and they translate it. Um, it they use like a like fancy computer when presumably it's just in a, in a language that is spoken. Anyway, uh, it warns that Simons is peaceful, uh, but will make a journey across the sea. And when that happens, shit goes down. Uh, two fishermen get menaced in the night by Simons, and uh, this is proof enough for MAT for uh, the monster attack team to launch a full investigation. Uh, they want to get the next verse of the song out of Takamura uh, for more clues about Simons. Uh, they have to stop Yoko from going to find Simons herself on a motorboat, and she agrees to sing the next verse. Uh, the team learns that when Simons' horn flashes, that's when shit really goes down because it makes. Which is the most painful thing to watch in your apartment with all the lights turned off. Oh my fucking god. <laughs> I don't know if either of you had this, I but not, I was I like. I'm, I am. 
I'm normally not bothered by that stuff, but like it, I was like, I'm turning on some lights because this was killing me. Goddamn. It was so goddamn bright. Um, yeah. So when, uh, Simons, uh, threatens, uh, Brad's eyesight, uh, that's when shit really goes <laughs> down because it makes Sigurath angry. Uh, Simons comes ashore and the team launches an assault, but Go convinces them to call it off because they're going to anger Sigurath. Um, Simon settles down at a cement plant and starts eating rocks. The cement plant owner calls the SDF to fight Simon's, and Simon signals Sigurath. Sigurath emerges from the sea and whips up a very expensive tsunami. Um, uh, it's fucking... It's, it's some real shit. Uh, Ultraman yeah. arrives on the scene, but what can he do? Uh, find out next time. Um, this is a secret... This was a secret two-parter all along! <laughs> Yeah, it's so Woo! funny how he just like transforms and just stands there for like thirty seconds, and then Ariel's like, "Well, shit, I guess you gotta go come come next time and see." Yeah. Um. See, I like to imagine that moment goes like, "I don't, mm, I can't shoot this. <laughs> <laughs> what am I supposed to do?" Um. It's a wave. Now, I I have a quick question. Do we talk about this episode, or do I read the summary for the next episode and we talk about the whole thing? I personally vote we do these both in in one go, and you you start the next. Okay. Sense, yeah. Okay. I don't think I have much to say about these as individual episodes. Okay then. Um. Episode fourteen: Terror of the Two Giant Monsters, the Great Tokyo Tornado. Um. Uh, also, I just, just want to say. I just want to say first though. Uh. It is funny that the next episode preview for episode 13 goes on to say, we also read our expensive uh, tornado next week. Please come next week. That's <laughs> <laughs> so proud. <laughs> They're like, we spent all our budget and we, we're going to make sure you know that. Um, Ultraman, how, how are you going to solve this? He spins really fast and it reverses the tsunami. I'm not sure that's... <laughs> how that works but you know uh don't worry don't worry about it he'll do it again later but it'll make sense more sense then um yeah also it drains him of all his energy and simons starts fucking juggling him send that clip to say jam ultraman despawns (laughs) and the mat continue their cautious investigation uh into simons um their translation of the song continues to reveal that simons and seagrath can also call the wrath of the heaven the heavens and earth Whatever that means. Uh, spoilers, it means a tornado. Simons uh, is peaceful for now, and the MAT negotiates a three-day delay on any SDF attack. The real question is, if Simons isn't aggressive, why attack the boat in the first place? Uh, back with the Sakata family, Go makes a gargantuan leap of logic and just rolls with it for the rest of the episode. The Sakata family parrot <laughs> bites when you try to touch its eggs. Simons must be trying to lay eggs. That's why she's eating precious gems and rocks from the cement plant to make a kaiju eggshell, similar to how birds eat e- seashells and pebbles to make their eggs. Uh, birds are close to dinosaurs, so I do not necessarily trust Ultraman bird facts. Uh, so I, did, I, don't, I did actually I, look this up, and apparently they do have, like, eat some pebbles in the sand and stuff for, to get calcium. Yes. Okay. I was going to say, I looked this up, too, because I was like, that's bullshit, right? And then it was true, and I was like, holy shit, you, you fucking got me, finally. Okay, cool. <laughs> I never knew this. Um, I, I believed the seashell. I wasn't sure about the pebbles thing. I was like, pebbles? You just eat rocks? <laughs> Um, uh, the thing I saw specifically was chickens will eat pebbles to, um, like, really tiny pebbles to, like, I see. be able to make eggshells. Nice. Um, very clever. Very cool. Um, uh, uh, good world building god. Um, uh, so, uh, 
the MAT concludes they've proved Takamura's in innocence, uh, but Yoko believes it's irrelevant as she fears he'll never recover from the shock and will never captain a ship again. Um, the SDF decides to attack despite the three-day agreement and shit goes south immediately. Simon's calls for Sigurath and they generate a tornado, scattering the attackers and laying waste to the area. At sunset, at sunset we see the pair frolic amongst the ruins of Tokyo. Cute. Um... The brass demands that MAT fucking do something, and the captain declares they have a weapon under construction. It's a laser that will blow off the horns of Simons and Sigarath that generate the tsunamis and tornadoes. The captain asks for a week, but the commander gives the team two days. And so, two days later, the operation begins. They got Ueno and Go in the Matt Hawks, and everyone else is in the jeeps with mounted laser guns. Uh, they launch the attack, but the first laser shots go astray. Uh, Simons and Sigrath summon a tornado and nearby, accompanied by Yoko, Takamura comes to his senses and cries, The anger of the heavens and the earth! Uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, Go flies into the tornado and transforms into Ultraman, dispelling the tornado by spinning really fast in the opposite direction. Uh, he then, once again, starts getting his ass kicked by Simons and Sigrath. Uh, this time, uh, he needs to stop standing between these two because yes. he's getting juggled back and forth. Uh, this time, uh, he's he's caught uh, between them uh, in between like the electricity of their horns. Uh, he's like bound up between them. Um, uh, the MAT comes to the rescue using the layers, the the lasers, the laser, the layer. I said layers. <laughs> what, yeah. what fuck? I said layers, and then in an attempt to reckon with the fact I said layers, I accidentally misspoke again and said lasers. Um, anyway, using the lasers to blow off the horns, uh, Ultraman beats up the two kaiju, but doesn't kill them, just scares them off back into the sea. The team pick up Go, who is floating in a lifeboat. Uh, later, Yoko waves goodbye as her father sails away, captain of a ship once more. Together, but apart, they sing the song of Simons. The end. Uh, this was a fun two-parter. Yeah, this was a fun two-parter. They spent all their fucking money. Um, yeah, like, the, please watch this show. Please, they're like, yeah. please watch this show. We do effects like no one else does effects. Do you know who we are? We did. We are the reason Godzilla exists. Uh, except <laughs> not really, but you know. Not really, but you know. The, the you know, the, you can cash in. Cash in a little. Um... Yeah. The uh, tsunami effects are fantastic. Uh, just lots of just like cascades of water running through one time very thorough sets that, that are just going to get fucking obliterated. Uh, the tornado, very impressive. Um, I'm not necessarily entirely sure how you do a tornado. Because the, they did uh, uh, the one in Ultra Q. Um, and that episode was, that was the balloon episode, right? Yeah. And they had the balloon absorb a storm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that storm, uh, was very impressive. Uh, this similar stuff happening here, tiles, like, like, ind like individual tiles on houses, like getting swept off them, um, and, uh, into the wind, uh, that kind of thing. Um, shit's good. Yeah. Um, uh, how do you feel about the actual plot of the episodes? Uh, I guess it exists, and I think about it. <laughs> it it's all right. It's sir. I'd say I think it's perfectly serviceable for 
something that's trying to be a little bit more set PC and spectacle yeah. disaster movie type thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think it gets the job done. It's not, I'm, I do, unfortunately, so I guess it should be said that the captain here is played by our friend Akiji Kobayashi, uh, Captain Miramatsu, obviously from um, mm-hmm. uh, good old Ultraman. Um, think maybe his acting talent is a little underutilized well, yeah, here. He spends yeah, yeah. most of the episode He's a... not episodes not really you know all there in a state of shock um but it's cool to see him back he does a good job Mm -hmm. um i i i think it like pays off for me with uh the shot because she she keeps going to the fucking danger zone yoko keeps going to where everything is getting fucked up and uh, goes like, what the fuck? I have to turn into Ultraman now. <laughs> um, and the, the second time she takes, she takes Takamura there. She takes her dad along. And so when he comes to his senses, they're just kind of stood among ruins with a tornado in the backgrounds. And it's a pretty effective shot. I, I was like, yes, I agree. I, I, I did feel it was a bit weird when we had like the, green screen tsunami and ultraman standing in front of it but you know uh, that that is the one shot that i think it looks a little yeah most mm-hmm. mostly just the way they stick them together because like obviously the waves on their own are pretty impressive yeah. Mm-hmm. but yeah that 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 one shot i think like bring i was like okay i'm i i get i i get the it's like it pays off the um the plot with the with the captain for me just like like this very like this moment of self-discovery and then just like suddenly in the middle of fucking nowhere it's getting destroyed and it's it's it's, i don't know it's uh it hits for me uh the like uh the thing where it's like oh yeah he crashed during the war and he was rescued by some islanders and uh he learnt uh their song and now it's his favorite song and i'm like we 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 love talking about post-war stuff in this show. We love yeah. that here on Return yeah. of Ultraman. Because it's, it's, it's like, hey, we're actually in 70s Japan instead of the fake yeah, 2000s. Fake, yeah. yeah. In, um, in, in not necessarily Japan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in not in not Japan, except when Jasoji's directing going, no, this is definitely Japan. <laughs> Look at that tiny table. Yeah. Um, uh, the... What was the other stuff going on in this episode um i think our kaiju being a a unassuming wife slash wife guy who is overly defensive team is <laughs> yeah, real fun i like the idea of like oh I yeah they're, they're a couple i do think these are probably my favorite kaiju in this show so far i mean um what's the competition really this Twin is, tail, this is basically the, this is, this is, this yeah, I was about to say, I have a soft spot for Twin, Twin Tail, tail is, but that's Twin about Twin Tail is like the classic... Twin Tail and Takong are like the classic guys, but like other than that, so far I don't think we've got like really anyone of note. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun fact, actually, the Twin Tail and... Uh, um, that was... Uh, sorry, what was the other monster in that? Uh, Gudan, at least according to the book. Um that two-parter was directed and written by the same writer-director duo of um, Yoshiharu Tomita and Shozo Uehara. Nice. 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 Um, 
but yes, I like the differences in the, in the design of these two, uh, with um, Simons being like on four legs and then Seagrath being on two legs and having this like much bigger horn. Yeah. Um, which I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean means things. Um, and uh, I think the the effect of like Seagrath rising out of the ocean at Simons's call and then just whipping up a tsunami like by magic basically um like these two as like uh return of ultraman taking a position on uh island gods <laughs> slightly differently from ultra q <laughs> yeah uh and uh yeah i i i like these two i think they're cool um, I think these, I love the scene of them just like playing around in the wreckage of Tokyo at sunset. I'm, I'm like, damn, ah, these two, love them. Um, cute couple. Um, yeah. Uh, do we have anything else to say about this episode? Yeah, I just got a little bit of trivia. Not as much as I may yeah, have expected, because I covered a lot of it already in the mm -hmm. early production series at the start, top of the series, but yeah. As I explained mm -hmm. before, this was a shot in the arm to the series. It was costly, obviously. Uh, but because of how Howard Lapper was, it also brought people, a lot of people back because of how impressive it was. It was like, maybe people go, oh, maybe I should watch this thing. Uh, and mm -hmm. more importantly, well, maybe. Oh, as importantly, uh, it basically was just like, yeah, we still got this. And so a lot of other studios were like, hey, maybe we could get give Super Superia some jobs because they're good at this. I so, mean, yeah, this cool. is this is absolutely something you put on the fucking promo reel. This is uh, absolutely selling, like, advertising yourself, your skills to uh, yeah. movies. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the two kaiju this week are designed by Ken Kumagi, uh, who's a bit of a new guy. Like we said before, Ike is taking a bit of a break, uh, so we're going to have a bit Good. of a rope. <laughs> yeah, he's on, he's on yeah. timeout. Uh, and, you know, at Learn to draw something that's not a dinosaur, nerd. Yeah, no, he, he tried to capture the sexual dimorphism of like a rooster and a hen as like a you know that was kind of a similar idea there. That's go that's for like cool. make it uh, I can see it. Would you believe me if he said he had his own principles? <laughs> Let's go! I want to hear his fucked up Every principles. Every fucking time I want to hear his fucked what are his dumbass rules we're okay. gonna make fun of. Uh, first of all, he likes to make his designs based on real animals. Oh, that's the opposite of what we've had. Uh. His Which is, well no now to be fair it's the opposite of what we had in the sense that the last two guys claimed not to like that and they kept doing it anyway yeah uh the designs just give the impression that the monster is strong oh uh, yes that's i kind of felt like that was a given but okay yeah. no that's the opposite of the last guy though who yeah, was I like I the monsters have be to be pathetic oh that's true they should be pathetic uh, yeah, that's true and that's you true, should they, yeah they should be weak and cowardly and should yeah, sniveling and I, villains yeah, like Dankan, who is not mm -hmm. strong. Um, he feels like the children watching should be able to imitate the monster easily because he knows he's a kid's show and they want to have fun. So, And finally, nice. he thinks that monsters should have a dramatic weapon. Oh, this is our guy. Aww. This guy rule. This guy's so much cooler than the last. Sorry, Toru Narita. I know you're a big deal, but, <laughs> but you were a real dweeb about the fact you had to put a dinosaur on a tank. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm like, 
Uh, the, the weapon thing opens up so much possibility space. We, we for, used uh, to have that. Like, Ultra Q was full of that shit. It was. And then it just became monsters. That would just, just Anti-gravity you. freeze breath was yeah. in episode five of Ultra Q. Yeah. yeah. I remember when the anti-gravity freeze breath showed up and I like, oh, we're going to get some guys with cool abilities. And then we kind of did it until Ultra 7? Yeah. Which is wild. No, hang on. I can't say that when the uh, the giant heart episode exists of Ultraman. Sorry, sorry to the yeah, giant yeah. heart episode of Ultraman. Um, uh, truly, Bolton, one, one of the of greats. Or oh, one of the greats. Uh, better be on our fucking skip list. <laughs> I'm not. Passport to Infinity has it to. It is. It's also a Jisoji yeah, episode, I, so I, like it kind of. Uh, is Passport to Infinity a Jisoji episode? I don't think that one's Jisoji. It might not be actually. Yeah, you're right. But it is. I think it is yeah. on the list though. Yeah, I think I think Jisoji starts episode. later. I think it's like one of the early all-time greats is the heart episode. I think we just like yeah. that one too much to like not on the skip list. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm pretty sure that one was written by the Macross hater. Ah yes. Yes. Um uh, gonna miss that guy. Do we have any more any more production notes from no. you, Brad? Oh. No, just just written by Yoshiharu Haru Tomito, who, like I said, did the previous two parter and Shozo Uehara. Okay, so, so ne- I'm next- so so next episode's where the real shit's going down. Oh Jesus, fucking I. Ooh, oh, yeah, we'll get to it. <laughs> oh, sorry. So, are we about to cover an episode written or directed by a villain? Um. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> I, you forced me to make a decision there. <laughs> I'm gonna land that. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so let's move on to episode <clears throat> fourteen. Now I'm gonna say this title, and uh, cl- I clearly episode. it's oh, fifteen. Fi- oh yeah. Why did I write fourteen? Okay. Episode fifteen. What what title do you have for this episode? Revenge of the Monster Boy. Yeah, that's what I got. Okay. <laughs> Which sounds like a shitty Genesis game. Let me just say. I have, I have, I think mine's better. Revenge of the Monster Lad. (laughs) It's so good. The Monster Lad. The Monster Lad. Um, All right. A kid watches a kaiju drain electricity from a power station and turn invisible. He calls this kaiju Elodotus. Um... The same kid later gives Jiro his homework to copy from, claiming to be Susumu, a rich kid, the nephew of the MAT captain. Um, however, the Sakatas don't approve of Jiro copying homework, and they return it. In doing so, um, Go meets Susumu outside the house, and he makes th- th- this kid makes some weird hints that he heard from the <laughs> captain that something might be up with the power outages. Uh, and the captain's like, no, I didn't tell that kid. Wait, did, do, did you mention that he like uh, he's related to the captain? Uh, yes. Yeah. He's the nephew of the MAT captain. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, the captain denies this, uh, that he's said anything to Susumu. He's like, no, I haven't said anything to Susumu. And then goes like, oh, but Susumu said, and the captain said, oh, now I, I have said that I haven't said anything to Susumu, but also I really must insist, insist Susumu would never lie. And Go is confronted with the fact that one of these things can't be true. <laughs> uh, Go and Jiro track the kid down again and find that he has kidnapped and tied up the real Susumu, which, given the rest of the episode, is a truly strange thing to put in this plot. Um, yes. Go and Jiro visit the kid's real home. He's called Shiro. Uh, he's poor. He lives with his granddad. His mum died when he was young, and his dad, a train driver, died when his train was involved in an accident, and ever since he has walked with a limp, and he's always lying. 
I hope you got all that. Um, the MAT captain remembers the incident. Uh, Shiro was at the scene of the accident and had claimed a kaiju was responsible, but the train company, owned by the captain's brother, rich kid Susumu's parents, blamed Shiro's father. Uh, I, again, I hope you're keeping up. Uh, if you have, presumably you watched the episode. If you didn't watch the episode, watch the episode. It's pretty good. Uh, Shiro keeps predict, except, well, you know, it's bizarre, but it, you know, it's good yeah. in the way that, like, there yeah. are truly strange episodes of Ultraman sometimes. Uh, <laughs> Shiro keeps predicting power outages and train accidents that become real, and young Kishida, hater extraordinaire, is like, well, obviously the kid's putting rocks on the line or something. <laughs> I love him so much. I definitely didn't uh, see the kaiju earlier, but you know. Yeah, uh, Go suspects there's something more here, but not enough to just believe Shiro. Uh, he gets to know Shiro a, li- a little better, helps him with his turtle, asks him about his favorite and least favorite kaiju, and then doesn't really ask any intrusive questions uh, about the fact that Shiro says Elidortus for both. Um, they're becoming real he, good pals. He, he tries, and it gets confused, because Shiro's just like... Bro, you don't get it. Yeah, you don't get it, bro. And I'm like, I do. I, I'm going to tell you, I get it, like, immediately. <laughs> and then when Shiro, you know, they're becoming really good pals. And then when Shiro makes his claim about the kaiju, again, Go Bright slaps him and tells him he shouldn't lie, even if he is disabled. I'm really not exaggerating here. <laughs> um, <laughs> this, this does happen. Yeah. Um, The, imp- the, the implicate... I, I don't... The implication here uh, that, you know, maybe I'm now more willing to read into this knowing that perhaps we have a villain on the team uh, making this episode. It, the implication here that we allow disabled children to get away with more because we're too afraid to hit them. Uh, uh, let me say, as someone who spent an extensive amount of my childhood with a limp, I had some fucking thoughts about how this goes. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to tell you, I figured. I was, I was like, oh, Brad. Brad's having fun with this one. Um, especially the ending. Uh, another of Shiro's predictions come true as Emmy, as uh, Matt finally sees Elidortus attacking the city. Uh, Matt launch and assault, but launch and assault. Uh, but Go calls them off as Shiro is at the scene, egging on the kaiju with his clacker things. Don't worry, he's had clacker things all episode. I just didn't mention them. Uh, Go arrives just in time to rescue Shiro when Elidortus turns on him. Uh, he tells Jiro, I'm I'm sorry, I believe your story, I'm sorry I slapped you really hard for some reason, despite the fact that I clearly kind of believed you already. Um, <laughs> Go rushes in, <laughs> this is the funniest return of Ultraman transformation so far, because Go's like, I'm gonna go avenge your dad, runs about 10 meters and immediately gets crushed by a train. <laughs> <laughs> he's like holding it up <laughs> he's like underneath it like oh no I'm getting crushed the by a train says, oh no you suck this is where Ultraman comes in <laughs> it's, uh, you may be fearing for Go's life but don't worry he has a secret weapon <laughs> he can turn into Ultraman and he turns into Ultraman uh, the MAT I keep switching between MAT and Matt um, I'm just going to keep doing that keep your listeners on the toes uh the met help ultraman exploit ella daughter's weakness which shiro tells them is the head listen brat i could have told all right never mind uh, ella <laughs> I, think, I, I, think, I, think, I think the funny part is that uh, ultraman tries to get in on the head and then ella daughter just turns around and hits him with a tail <laughs> Yeah, yes. Elidortus, Elidortus in tortoise style just like tucks his head in a little, and goes ooh, 
healing in me. It's like swings around. And classic, tail is the weakness uh, of Ultraman. Elodotus, anyway, uh, Elodotus is destroyed. Uh, team up. Uh, the day is saved. And we get a flashback to Ultra Q as Shiro's limp is cured for some reason in the end. Okay, so, so I want to say obviously this, I feel like this right, happened also in this series before, maybe question mark. Uh I feel like this series has a weird relationship with like limping yes, or it absolutely characters. Does. Including the fact that like one of the major characters, Ken Sakata, he's defined by the fact that he had to end his career because of his limp, and that's the entire reason of his relationship with Go in the first place. And then uh, we have no, these kids th- who th- just this is <laughs> this this that makes this truly bizarre because like if this main if that main if ken found out what was happening in the rest of return of ultraman he'd be like well where do i get my magic yeah. fix <laughs> like what the yeah. fuck is this <laughs> so i was not feeling great about obviously a lot of how this kid's like whole limp situation was being handled. I fucking lost my goddamn mind when he's just bolting at the end, like, oh, I guess defeating the kaiju made him all better. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? So, also, I, again, weird spot where I don't have a limp anymore. If you saw me just on the street, you wouldn't have even been able to tell that, like, I had issues moving around when I was younger. So, like, weird spot for me. But, uh, I didn't get that way because someone beat up a fucking weird imaginary <laughs> turtle. Let me tell ya. Because, because, because someone, someone defeated your, like, Persona 4 shadow that was, yeah. that was kind of, like, hanging over your life. Yeah. Uh, I will say that this episode is like much like some previous ones last time, evoking an older Ultraman episode, but this time it's like maybe more interesting than that one. Oh yes, yes. It, this, I will like is... now. This 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 episode is like truly bizarre and strange, and I wouldn't go so far as to say it is good. Uh, but I did <laughs> enjoy watching it much more than uh the Naronga episode yeah. of Ultraman, where which was just kind of the most standard stock thing in the world. Yeah, I do think that this was, while subjecting me to strangely targeted hate, uh, I did actually overall have kind of a fun time with this one. Again, I don't know it's good, but I do think as far as um, the kid and the kaiju are linked and there's some weird stuff going on, I think this one is playful and, like, kind of inventive with it Mm -hmm. in a way that I appreciate, especially, like, I was thinking a lot about, like, oh, like, when Blazer did the Gavadon episode again, and it was just kind of like, well, do we really need to do that? Like, this felt like it was at least trying to not stick as close to form, and I appreciated Mm -hmm. it on that level. The, Uh... the, the The thing that I like in this episode is the, you know, uh, the kind of this villain child and this like reveal of just like well he's just poor and you know life ruined by the train company and he hates them and uh everyone thinks he's a liar and so he became like a complete liar all the time and um he weaponizes the kaiju against society and i'm like joker mode joker mode children works really well because they're children (laughs) yeah Yeah. uh and uh of course they go joker mode um and uh i I, you know i have i really liked this sympathetic vindictive child um i thought it was uh 
uh, much that I thought that aspect was uh, pretty good in terms of like like we return of return of Ultraman is like people are much more complicated uh, than in previous shows. Um, I think uh, yeah. we're getting like you know with this is like you know with with say with with saving the villain basically um it's good um yeah. uh, but uh for some reason they added like three or four truly <laughs> bizarre things into the episode and i'm like why have you done this <laughs> uh, like yeah. okay so it wasn't until you brought up the fact that like the kid he's impersonating is found like bounded gagged that like it really clocked for me like he had to have done that because while watching it in the episode i'm like there's some nefarious adult around that like there's something up but no it's just the kid no, he ki- the turtle he ki- didn't do he that he was like <laughs> I, I didn't just i didn't just pretend i was susumu i kidnapped him i was like why <laughs> why 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 did you put this in the episode yeah <laughs> Uh, I was, I was like, we de- I, the moment that happened, I was like, oh, we're dealing with an evil kid. We're dealing with like, <laughs> we're dealing with like a satanic kid here. Let's go. And then no, it was just, it was, you know, there was like a, ver- a fairly normal plot on the other side of this <laughs> kidnapping. <laughs> uh, Mel, um, I, uh, you had something. Yeah. First of all, this is the episode where you went on as thirsty again. <laughs> yes yeah because they're in like the they're, talk, they're discussing whether this kid is lying or not and it cuts to Ueno and he's drinking water again <laughs> I immediately in my head I was like drink your damn water uh, also just like connecting to this episode but also moving back to the last two parter uh, I feel like these episodes are encapsulating well uh, the ways in which uh, the capitalist state is simply a tool of the bourgeois class. Because mm-hmm. uh, on one hand, you have the math captain being the brother of the train company guy. Absolutely. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, the 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 SDF is the one who's like in charge of attacking the two kaiju. But the one who seems to be calling the shots is the guy, the manager of the cement factory, for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He's just like uh, we have to blow up these kaiju because it's disrupting business, uh, regardless of casualties. And it's just like, why are you in charge of this? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a thing that's been coming up in Return of Ultraman a lot. Is like people like people with like, uh you know the money is at stake and uh the mat has to relent in the face of capital is is good yeah like we we had that with the quarry thing too even yeah a little bit, the, with the recall. with the with the the unearthed dinosaur yeah yes and i feel like yeah. i feel like the first the only time we really had that before that was in the gavadon episode um mm-hmm. yes back in the day yeah, yeah. in ultraman uh jisoji salute yeah, and I, I do like that as, like, a turn for the series to go down, because it does, sometimes I feel like looking back on, like, Ultraman especially, but also I, I'd even say maybe Ultra 7 can be guilty of this too, is that if you're not the team, and you're just, like... If you're not the team and you're not, like, one of the side, like, characters for the episode, the world can feel a little empty, mm-hmm. almost, in terms of just, like, this doesn't feel like a place where people actually are, like, living or, like... Like, the buildings in the city exist to be destroyed. But now we're actually seeing 
random characters that are only there for just a little bit just to be like, hey, this is how this is actually affecting my life right now. Uh, and I hate it and I don't like it. And uh, blow this thing up, please. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a fun little thing. Smash that pot that one time with absolutely no follow up to that. He, he, still, I, he still just secretly still hates Matt. Yeah. <laughs> Ide's going to pick him up at the end of the show. He's on his way. He got yeah. bit by that bird. That happened. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He got bit by the. It's it's a sign of his him becoming disconnected with nature. True. Um, it is funny that they're like, "Oh, hey, we got two days to figure this out," and then two days later, he's just chilling with us. <laughs> we yeah. do also learn that he is so down to cheat on his math homework. I listen. Same. I the the, the everyone just being like, you can't. You can't, you can't be copying, copying your homework. And he's like, his his reason for wanting to copy the homework is uh, perfect, which is it's four pages. It's like I have, it's <laughs> fucking, it's so much, and I, I, I feel you, dude. It's so yeah. much sometimes. They, kids, man. Yeah, they had it rough. I was a goody two shoes Catholic boy. I would have cried if someone suggested I had cheated. Yeah, Damn. me too. I thought I wasn't Catholic, but I was like the ethos. <laughs> I, I was I was too much of like the goody two shoes until even like until university basically. <laughs> um, I I I, I, same. I cracked the code on one time. I had like full like new type flash of getting out of being punished for not doing homework. Um, which was uh, one which you know, I'd been I'd been working on figuring out how to not do homework and get away with it for years and sometimes you know, some of my experiments had succeeded and some of them had failed sometimes I'd lied good and sometimes I'd lied bad this is you know this is how you learn how it works um, and eventually <clears throat> I saw the code for one for a one time get out of jail free card which was my history teacher said uh has anyone not done their homework and i i put my hand up and said i haven't done the homework and she said why and said because i'm an idiot and she said okay nice and i didn't get anything any shit for it uh i think this fundamentally broke my brain but it was during my freshman year of college I had a professor who was talking shit about people who skip, and I was like, you know, I skipped your class, like, a fair bit. And, and then uh, he said, yes, but you're also smart enough to do that while still getting an A, and I honestly think that's part of what college is there to teach you. And I was like, oh, fuck, you're right. Uh, Damn. Yeah. Changed my outlook. There was a class I... It was an intro to art class I had to take just for like, you know, you got to take so many different like things from different disciplines or whatever to graduate. And the guy was like, I know a lot of you are just here for that. You can like here. Here's a bunch of extra credit opportunities. I took them all. And then two thirds of the way through the class, I stopped showing up and he emailed me and he's like, what? Anything up? And I was just like, I mean, I have enough points that I literally just need to get three questions right on the final and I get an A. Is that a problem? And he's like. No, I guess if I didn't want that to happen, I should have set up the class that way. You're fine. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's what I thought. Good times. Damn. Anyways, want to talk about the weirdest fucking guy I think I've ever had to research for this goddamn let's show? Let's go. Let's yeah. go. So, uh, well, first, let's start with the normal one. So we have a returning writer here, uh, Shigemitsu uh, Taguchi. Or sh uh, sorry, Shigemitsu Taguchi, who uh, you may remember from, uh, I would say, a pretty good episode, The Monster Time Bomb. Which one's the monster time bomb? 
the one, the where, one where uh our hero fucks shoots up a, a missile except instead of exploding it it's like a set to go oh, yeah, off yeah, 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 the yeah. dynamite factory yeah and you pack the minecraft dynamite in the minecraft dynamite factory and it causes problems and yes you need to see alternate doctor strange visions of the future to come up with a good solution yeah and the, the kaiju has a, a big sit down mm-hmm so we have a new director who is going to be with us through basically the rest of the Showa era, or at least this run of the Showa era. I know the Showa era extends past, like, you know, this initial little collection here. But for this first batch of series, uh, he's going to be with us, I think, all the way till the end. Uh, Eizo Yamag- uh, Yamagiwa um, is a film director, stage play director, and critic who was born in Kobe City but raised in Tokyo. He was in third grade when World War II began. When he was in junior high, he was forced to evacuate to the countryside, which he disliked as it was much stricter at school than what he was used to in the city. And the people followed older traditions out there that weren't often found in the cities, so he just kind of felt like a fish out of water. Everyone's more mean and, you know, kind of nasty to him. Um, I remember reading an anecdote where uh, apparently, like, it was just common at this time in, like, kind of the countryside of the, like schoolboys were treated as mini soldiers to the point where if an older schoolboy was passing by you on the street, you stopped and saluted. And he oh, kind of hated this. Yeah. Um, so, uh, thankfully, uh, he was gearing up to be sent out and just conscripted into the war as soon as he graduated, as boys were at this time. Uh, the war ended, so he didn't have to bother with that. Uh, immediately realized, like, hey, these American soldiers really like giving me chocolate. Big fan of that. Um, he also discovered his love of movies, uh, because at this time America was, you know, uh, filling Japan with, like, theaters and, and showing movies and, and showing their culture. Um, and he went, wow, America must be a pretty cool place. Look at how beautiful America is in all these movies. Um, Classic mistake. Yeah. Uh, he ended up uh, falling in love with movies uh, at the end of, or, you know, post-war because of this. Um, so he graduated from school and he found a job at uh, Shintoho, which was one of the six film production houses that was operating in Japan after the war. Um, he studied under Tetsuo Ishii, who is known in Japan as the King of Cult. Uh, a real quick side tangent to talk about Ishii. Uh, Ishii was notable for many things, including popularizing the Yakuza movie boom by directing a movie called Abashiri Prison. Um, this is notable, especially from, like, I guess a, a um, Western side of things. Uh, this movie launched the career of a prolific actor known as Ken Takakura, who uh, would show up in a lot of Hollywood movies and stuff as well, including like a Ridley Scott film, um, a few other things here and there. Um, but then also, too, in our circle of the Internet, uh, may be recognized as the guy who played Golgo in the live action version of Golgo 13 um, that was made in production between Japan and Iran. Um, okay. So, this is where we start to see shades of our man Jisoji, because in addition to make, working on a bunch of, like, cult films and children's entertainment, also kind of a horny guy, um, mm-hmm. he, he made an extremely influential series of S&M pink films, starting with a movie titled The Shogun's Joy of Torture, which, from what I gather, 
is a historical, based on true events loosely, anthology series of porn film shorts. Okay. Um, which had a massive impact and is kind of a cornerstone of what Japan's BDSM culture would become. I see. Aside from these, he also made some action movies about by, about guys being cool on motorcycles. Um, and also adapted works by Edogawa Rampo, which I feel like is half of the people we talked about for Return of Ultraman, uh, is out here adapting Edogawa Rampo stories. Mm-hmm. Um, he well, also dabbled in... Yeah. He also dabbled in science fiction. Um, one of these is of particular note to us because he directed a lot of the early entries. I think even he started and then was later replaced uh, after he didn't want to work on them anymore. Um, a series of superhero movies called Super Giant. Uh, some of these movies would get dubbed and released overseas as Starman. Um, I had never heard of these before, but apparently they were shorter, ser- almost serialized, but not exactly, tokusatsu films that could be thought of as a prototype for things to come, like Ultraman and Kamen Rider. Um, similar to how, like, if you've ever seen, like, retrospectives on, like, Batman or some of the early superheroes, like, a lot of them will point to, like, pulp vigilante heroes from, like, radio programs like The Shadow or stuff like that as being influences mm-hmm. on Batman. It kind of seems like that's what Supergiant was to Ultraman, Kamen Rider, etc. Um... Yamagiwa worked as an assistant director on several Supergiant movies, but Shin Toho eventually went bankrupt, and he was forced to find work elsewhere. He made his directorial debut at this time, uh, worked on various shows on a freelance basis, and also regularly published film criticism of famous directors at the time in, like, journals and wherever he could, you know, get someone to pay him for his writing. He would later be invited to work at Subaraya Productions by one Shinichi Ichikawa, and I'm sure some of you may be wondering, wait, what did Shinichi Ichikawa do? Uh, he was the guy who wrote a few episodes that we have some hit-or-miss opinions of uh, from Ultra 7, including The Man Who Came From V3, mm-hmm. The Earthling All Alone, Terror on the Moon, The Stolen Ultra Eye, The Terrifying Super Ape Man, and the showdown of Dan vs. Seven. <laughs> Truly some of the best and the worst. <laughs> um, so he Feel gets invited. Bag. Yeah. So he gets invited from Ichikawa. He says, hey, come work with us at Subarai Productions. We'll treat you right. Uh, so he works on a couple different shows, including uh, horror theater Unbalance. Um, he also becomes good friends with Akio Jisoji. Um... After Jisoji's show Silver Mask failed to find an audience, he was taken off of it to work on other things, and uh, Yamagiwa was put in charge. He, too, also failed to grow the show's viewer base. So Jisoji and him bonded over their shield failure over not being able to get anyone to watch their fucking show. Lol. Um, Yamagiwa would also contribute to many episodes of Showa-era Ultraman from Return and On, leaving a significant mark on the series. Um, but then during this, like, he wasn't just working with Subaraya at this time. Like, I think he made a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde miniseries thing that was well-received. Just a lot of random things here and there. Um, he also continued to work, um, with, like, uh, the movie companies and stuff. And he notably directed a movie in 1974 that was a uh, famous disaster movie called Japan Sinks. Oh. Oh. <laughs> 
This movie would inspire one Shinji Higuchi to take up filmmaking. Later on in life, our boy Shinji Higuchi would direct Shin Ultraman. Perhaps you've heard of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, Higuchi loved Japan Sync so much that he would direct a 2006 remake of it, which is notable in our circles it has for including. Tomino in it. <laughs> yes. The only live action appearance of Gundam creator Yoshiyuki Tomino in a film. <laughs> Damn. He plays a priest who is being evacuated, apparently. That's hilarious. Um, Yamagiwa would continue to direct movies and TV shows for many years, retiring from the industry in 1973, but returning to work in the early 2000s as a stage play director, which he still does to this day. This man is fucking 91. God damn. Now, this all seems relatively normal. Yeah. You might be wondering what the fuck's going on. So... This man is known for more than just his directorial work. He is also known, somewhat controversially, for his social commentary and human rights activism. Uh-oh. <sighs> so I'm going to start positive. To give credit where credit is due, he is a major proponent of protecting the rights of those who have been arrested and has been an influential voice in the push to abolish the death penalty in Japan. Okay. I, I can get behind that. However... What he is mostly remembered for is his involvement in the societal debate surrounding cults in the 2000s, oh. following the Aum Shunrikyo sarin gas attack, and for publicly supporting the primary suspects in the Sayama incident, as well as the Tokyo Metropolitan murders. Okay. Um, okay. Both of these are very divisive, high-profile rape and murder cases where the evidence against the primary suspect was not airtight, and both of which to this day remain controversial. Um, okay. Rega regarding the Aum Shinrikyo situation, Yamagiwa was heavenly involved with the cult and its legal defense throughout the 2000s and late 90s. Following the infamous sarin gas attack and the organization's uh, attempt to rebrand itself as Aleph, um, and just for those of you who don't know, uh, this is a, a new age spiritual movement, a cult that uh, I believe is still the worst attack on Japan from like a like a terrorist group, uh, killed 14 people and injured over a thousand. Um, in the wake of this, understandably, the Japanese public became incredibly suspicious of, if not outright antagonistic towards cults and new age spiritual movements. Um... Fun fact, I saw that one group that was impacted by this was the Unification Church. Um, uh -huh. Which okay. you may know as the group that uh, caused that one guy to assassinate Shinzo Abe. So I haven't seen this parallel drawn in any Western reporting that I could find, but I, I feel like I have read enough about this to call this. Um, following the the backlash to the sarin gas attacks from uh, Aum Shinrikyo and Olaf, um, the Unification Church got hit hard from people that were calling them out on what they were mostly known for at the time, which was people making massive donations and basically scamming their own members into buying, like, spiritual goods, mm -hmm. uh, or what are called spiritual goods. It seems like they doubled down on this in the early 2000s, which is when Shinzo Abe's assassin's mom made those exact donations that led their family to poverty. I um, see. Yeah. <laughs> I went down a fucking rabbit hole with this one. Um... 
So this expanded and was a topic of some discussion in the 2000s that I feel like I have not seen covered in discussion around around the sarin gas attack or um, Shinrikyo. Um, but what basically happened is that members of the cult who were not directly involved with the group's violent activities and therefore could not be charged or, you know, penalized legally in any way, um, were being denied the right to move into certain neighborhoods by municipal authorities. I see. Um, people's kids were not allowed to go to schools. They would apply to go into a school and they're like, we're not fucking taking you. Get out of here. Um... This also kind of came to a head when the leader of the cult's son, who was very publicly being groomed to be the successor, um, the, the leader of the cult being Shoko Asahara, um, was denied enrollment in a school despite being a fairly young child. Um, mm-hmm. Although these decisions to alienate the cult were largely supported by the public at first, Human rights activists, academics, and media personalities brought attention to these events as clear violations to their right to practice religion freely without being subject to discrimination. And legally, this would be proven right, because at the end of the day, when these when the cult members brought these situations to court, they were like, yeah, you can't really tell someone you can't live here because of the religion you follow, and mm-hmm. you can't tell kids you can't go to school here because of the religion you follow. Um, so... While framing the matter as a human human rights issue and presenting the public as victim, so I guess this is what I should say: the the pushback that came from this from people like Yama, uh, Yamagiwa and um, and these other academics and media personalities was they were basically saying, "Hey, the sarin gas attack was terrible, but." the media is going overboard with this. This is a, a severe moral panic that is being used to fuel anti-religious sentiment for people following what they called new religions. Um, this proved effective in the short term, but then eventually kind of fell apart as uh, members of the cult tried to open dialogue with the communities that they were now moving to. Mm-hmm. And it became fairly apparent that they were very cagey about accepting responsibility for the religion's, um, you know, violent attack, um, and overall showed a lack of remorse. And while they kind of sort of denounced their old leader, they still were like, well, we're going to continue teaching his religious teachings. Um, Mm -hmm. champions of the Champions of the cult and their legal defense were also criticized for their lack of sensitivity, especially towards the relatives of those who died in the attack. Um, They attempted to frame these survivors' families, or these survivors and their families, um, they attempted to frame their outrage over cult members who belonged to the group responsible for their family members' deaths moving into the same neighborhood as, like, an, ir- an irrational overreaction. Like, oh, I mean, these people have ties to the people who killed your loved ones, but, like, just, they're not the same people. They just belong to the same group. Don't worry about it. Uh, obviously, this did not go over well in the public eye. Um, Yamagiwa himself definitely did not help the cause. Um, he provided advice to Shoko Asahara himself, advising him to change his lawyer. Um, this whole trial, honestly... Uh, This is maybe a very reductive comparison to make, but I didn't know this, but reading about this trial with the the, revolving the sarin gas attack kind of sounded like Japan's version of the OJ thing. Huge media circus. 
um the original lawyer who they got well, to like defend in, the in, leader in, in terms of like the the level of like almost like dramatization of it yes exactly so much so that the lawyer who the leader first had assigned to him became like a media personality unto himself he was going on talk shows oh, that's grim um and like you know was kind of just a guy everyone was inviting everywhere to do stuff and everyone wanted to hear his opinions on things or talk to him and he hit, cameras were pointed at his, his face all the fucking time this was then complicated by the fact that he got caught embezzling money and not paying people and doing a bunch of like really bad like financial fuckery um people started to confront him on this publicly like on shows and stuff uh, and at first he was very dismissive and be like, eh, I don't want to talk about that. Eh, it's just don't worry about it. That sort of stuff. Uh, he eventually kind of started to fall apart as people kept pushing for answers. And he just openly started blowing up at people on camera and calling them idiots. Um, at which point he became a laughingstock and every sketch comedian had like an impersonation of this oh guy blowing up at journalists. Oh my God. Um, Yamagiwa see when seeing this. Uh, reached out to the leader uh, and said, hey, you should really fucking change your lawyer. Um, so as a result, he's he, this guy is now being seen as providing legal defense to someone who is very obviously extremely guilty of coordinating this attack, um, which doesn't look great. Um, this also then, he, he doubled down, um... Yamagiwa posited that the attack was not even real and that it was an anti-cult oh, <laughs> operation that was part of a government conspiracy to discriminate against new religions. Yamagiwa, no! <laughs> what are you oh. doing? During this, during this time, Yamagiwa personally himself took in some of Asahara's children while his dad was awaiting trial. Bro. Bro, this bro, <laughs> it's not, it's not real, it's not real, the attack, it's not real, it's, it's a false flag over. Yes. Uh, what are we doing? Yeah, Yama, Yamagiwa rocking up at the trial with his, you guys, do you guys just never watch Penguin Drum? <laughs> Yamagiwa's involvement in the issue came to a boiling point in 1999 when it was found that he was attempting to start a computer company that directly hired Aum Shunrikyo members who had lost their jobs due to being associated with the cult. Okay, While so this, he claimed- this, 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 this man, this man, <laughs> this man, right, he's like, you, at that point, you're, 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 you're one of the cultists. You, this, 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 you know, this is how, this is how it works. He's a little too you're, involved. Yeah. yeah. While he claimed this was done so that people who otherwise couldn't work could support themselves and their families, everyone immediately went, they're just doing this to fund more cult shit. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> um, what remains of Aleph has still come under heavy scrutiny. They're still around. Don't you worry, listener. Um, they have very publicly denounced the sarin gas attack and their former leader's violent actions, but again, still continue to teach his messages. They, you know, it's, it's all about the message, not the messenger, right? Um, the group has attempted to rehabilitate its image to varying degrees of success. Um, I caught a thing where apparently one time they told the newspapers, oh yeah, there's so much factional infighting going on right now, we're probably just gonna dissolve. Um... 
And this seemed to be an attempt to quote-unquote dissolve and then come back later as a new group. I see. Um, But then when government officials said, like, I mean, so also I guess I should acknowledge, this was done at a time when there was still some lingering legal issues and people that... It was dubious whether or not they could be tried, but people were attempting to try them for criminal activity involving the attack. Um, And then suddenly they're telling the newspapers, oh, we're basically going to dissolve, maybe, sort of, Mm -hmm. possibly, who could say. Uh, Government officials came out and were like, I mean, even if they do that, we're going to track down the people that we want to try and still try them as criminals anyways. And they were uh, seemingly all that infaction or that all that factional infighting seemed to stop after that. Mm -hmm. Funny enough. (laughs) <laughs> mm. um so now yeah last yeah. note on this you you may remember this is not the first time we've talked about uh um shinrikyo on this podcast oh because... i'm having to cast my mind back i don't remember so uh oh, sorry, i brought it up talked about uh penguin drum obviously yeah yeah <laughs> we didn't talk about um <laughs> we we haven't i still i'm still on like episode 15 of penguin drum <laughs> Uh, when I did my little history on Shinichi Ichikawa, I thought it was interesting enough that he said this and it was, you know, recorded that I was like, hey, I should write this down. Uh, but he personally stated that he felt some guilt over the role of science fiction and fantasy TV programming, such as the Ultra series, in the role it played in influencing the, the culture that brought forth. Oh, OK. Um, Shinrikyo. I see. Now, this is another thing where I am going to draw a conclusion here, but I feel like this is not the most insane cold shot to do. I have a feeling that the guy who brought the Turbo Pro LF guy onto the fold to work on the Ultra series, I understand why maybe he feels a little guilty about, <laughs> it no longer, about it no, his involvement. It no longer, yeah, I remember now at the time it struck us as like a weird thing to feel guilty about. Um, because it's like well (laughs) i mean you don't you don't have to beat yourself up that much about it it's like you wrote some fiction like i don't you know i don't see why i can kind of see why like i still don't think he should he should have beat himself up like that but i can see why (laughs) and and again i this is also just to like this is moving beyond the ultra series at this point so i don't i don't want to spend too much time on it but there, there is a through line between new religious movements, cults, whatever, spiritual movements, whatever you want to call, and things cults. like science fiction, fantasy, and that through line is that they both intersect with the counterculture that is going on at the time. They they draw in similar types of people, and because of that, they obviously intersect. This happens across multiple cultures in multiple places, um, like tale as old as time sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, and this is this is even beyond the Ultra series stuff, uh, specifically. I, Am Shinrikyo absolutely compared themselves to new types. New typism <laughs> was part of the like oh. the, the advertisement oh. and push. That's hilarious. Um, hey, guess what show came out for Gundam after the Sarin Gas attack? After War Gundam X, uh. the one where they maybe push back on the New Age stuff a little bit. Oh, oh, the one that's actually smart about oh. news types. The one. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. Uh, yes, and like. Like, Yas himself even says, like, I think the Gundam depiction of New Type was forever changed by the stuff that happened in the 90s with them. Like, he he feels that weight, too, a little bit about, like, the stuff we contributed maybe was used for nefarious deeds from these spiritual movements. And, like, it 
it definitely had an impact on how new type stuff was depicted moving forward in Gundam. I can be a bit more sympathetic to Yoss's new type of version if that's the reason. Yeah. I'm not sympathetic to much of Yoss's shit, but okay, I'll, I'll give him that. The other thing, which I don't agree with and I think is just a bad read of, like, what Tomino's trying to do is, like, he, he just thinks it's too tied up in the genetic shit, which, like, obviously Tomino does not. That's yeah, not what that's, he's going that's for. Gonna yeah. Um, which simply, also has it's, new types it's, it's Giren. It's just Giren. Giren, it's just Giren rocks up one day and says some Hitler shit, and his dad goes, Excuse me? <laughs> what did that uh, I didn't teach you that. Unfortunately, Except I you think kind of many... did by making a, fam- a noble fam. We're not talking about Gundam. I... Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was. I don't know if I'll ever go on such an unhinged rabbit hole thing again for this entire podcast that, that was, was a lot that was wild um, I, think that, I think that was like the more hinge than the last guy lord we had when you got when you got like, into like like deep into the history of the cults i was like this seems i i don't know that this this really this seems more like a history lesson than actually mattering to this guy and then he was like well he started, he started like starting companies for and exclusively employing members of the cult and i was like no, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. Uh. This guy. We're gonna stick with this. This guy's gonna be around for a few seasons. He's directed a lot of Ultra Man. Oh man. Well. Well. well uh. You know. <laughs> maybe. Maybe he's really good at his job. We'll see. We'll see. I guess we'll see. I. In. It's the seventies. He hasn't. Um. You know. He hasn't. Uh. Hung around any cults yet. New types. Oh yeah. Also, yet. actually. Uh, I forgot to write this down, but at some point, apparently, too, there was a noticeable, uh... So, apparently, in that initial rush to defend, like, cult members and stuff from, like, you know, not being able to, like, move places and, like, not being accepted to schools, losing their jobs, stuff like that, um... Apparently, early on, the Japanese Communist Party was like, yeah, we can, we can co-sign this. And then, like, the cult members started talking, and they were like, never mind, we changed our mind, we don't fuck these guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's which, really funny. Which was is historically significant because that is a massive break from their typical stance on that sort of thing. Even they were like, no, fuck these guys. Uh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Damn. All right. Well, uh, do we have anything more to say about this episode of Ultraman? No. Um, Nah, I can't not say really. anything else about the episode after that. <laughs> nah, like the the one the one you know main main I, I, the the number one thing it will be remembered for is um uh you should you know if your uh kid has a disability don't forget to keep hitting them anyway um keep keeps them in mind <laughs> um and also. Uh, if if you're cured of your if your problems are over, you will simply uh, just be able to walk normal again. It's fine. That's that's what happened to me. Yeah, that's it's yeah. It's magic, Ultraman. Ultraman will cure everyone except Ken. <laughs> um. All right. Well, I was about to say if that's a if that's a podcast, that's a podcast. But I know it's not a podcast. Because we have emails. Yeah, also color timers. Oh, yeah. also color time. Okay, first of all, hit us with the color timers. Okay, so episode 13, 51 seconds. Uh, but do you note, know, this just carries over to the next episode. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the first bit of the first transformation in episode 14 is 1 minute 42 seconds. Uh, since it's the same transformation, we can consolidate them as a total of 2 minutes 34 seconds. Okay. Uh, then the transformation at the end of episode 14. 3 minutes 34 seconds. We got over. Disgraceful. Yeah. Uh, and for the episode 15, 1 minute 43 seconds is the timer. All right. All right. We got one sin this week. Yeah. Um, All right. Now we got two emails, emails. this week. Neither from Citrix. Emails. Or... Yeah. Uh, this first one from Logan. First Hello, of all, Logan. apologies. Uh, you sent this email December 17th, uh, mere hours after you recorded our last podcast before the break. <laughs> and Santa didn't give it to us until now. Rip. Yeah. So your timing was. Uh, <laughs> unfortunate <laughs> yeah very unfortunate uh yeah happy new year uh, happy new year i said hi we need to make sure our responses are good or this person will be the most let down anyone's ever been listening to our show um, um, so they say hello alt q defense force i hope you've enjoyed this last batch of episodes of blazer depending on when you get this email uh to be honest there wasn't much more blazer after that uh <laughs> <laughs> you guys have helped motivate me to restart my watch through Phil Ultraman as I am also going through them for the first time. I am slightly further ahead of you guys at episode 35 right now, so rest assured, there's some bangers ahead for Return of Ultraman. Hell yeah, that's, good. that's what we like to hear. Besides that, I have a fun fact for you, and my subjects have brought it up, uh, and he hasn't. Uh, the hairstyle Twins Tales is apparently named after the monster. <laughs> what? No, it's uh, not. Is that true? Basically, Twin Tails is a Japanese-invented English term for the kaiju, while the hairstyle used to be called Two-Tail, or Two-Braid in Japan. Then, 1988, on a BBS fan board uh, for a Japanese Barbie spin-off toy line, people jokingly referred to one of the jobs as a uh, doll's named Maylin as having a two twin-tail look after the kaiju. This term for the hairstyle grew in use in the 90s until it became the most popular term, thanks for uh, otaku culture. Uh, and he links... Uh, I... Um, Blog from there's a blog called uh, Tuxedo on Bass, which is a Sailor Moon focused blog, uh, which I've encountered in the past and never looked at. But yeah, apparently they gave a link about like from that blog, which goes into the origins of the term twin tail. So, huh. <laughs> okay, apparently, Holy uh, the got you. Uh, finally, what kaiju or aliens from any show so far that you've seen that we'd most like to see fight each other? Oh, what was what was the question? Sorry, uh. Which basically, which kaiju aliens do we want to see fight each other if we're smacking our action figures together. together? Yeah, you know, it'd be a real fucking surreal episode. What? what? I want to see Balunga fight the weird alien heart. <laughs> <That'd> be- <laughs> Holy shit! What a fight! Uh, one for the, the ages. One. That's the. I that's, don't know who wins. That's that's no. <laughs> the thing is, that's end of the fucking universe stuff. Yeah. Um. um I want to see. Um. Oh. Uh. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, I want to see my. You want I one? want red. I want red king. <laughs> to fight. Uh. You can do it. I believe in you. 
I fucking can't is the thing. I fucking can't. I want to see Jamila versus Pagula. Yeah. I want the I want the uh, Journey Day themed fight. Um. Yeah, I was trying to think of something cool with Iron Rocks, and I just got a team up with Kanan instead, which isn't a mm-hmm. fighting together, but I think it'd be cool. Yeah. That or Kanan mm. like takes over Invitation Ultraman and fights the Salome. That'd be kind of funny. I like. So first of all, I think Bolt Boltan cool. Um, but I I like Alien Ghost just in terms of like the threat level. Yeah. Um, I want to see um, Boltan and Alien Ghost uh fight, but in terms of like I. I want to see it develop from the initial negotiation. <laughs> I want to see how quickly it devolves. <laughs> oh, so you want to see, like, Idion, but with Boltons and alien ghosts. Yes, absolutely. And it will it will end in uh, kaiju fights, eventually. Uh, Padon invokes everyone. Yes. Uh, yeah. See, I'm, try- I'm just try- like, I'm trying to think of, like, really interesting power sets that go together well uh but yeah i just i think you could do a lot with iron rocks to be honest yeah yeah uh actually and you know what I have dinosaur tank versus anyone dinosaur tank dinosaur versus tank versus totala versus totala <laughs> the most important kaiju of all time uh the most narratively important one Iron, Iron, Iron Rocks versus um, uh, Dino Tank sounds great to me. I, they don't interact on the same um, uh, field of combat at all. One belongs in the sea. One belongs roaming around in the, in the desert. You could, you could have a Dinosaur Tank versus Crazy Gone. You could. You could. There are some good, there are some good matchups uh, in here. Um I want to see Ultraman versus Ultra 7. I want to see Alien pull Bully Pigmon. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Not hurt him, just bully. You just make him feel a little bad, you know? <laughs> oh, Pigmon versus the thing that Pigmon's based on. Uh, Garamon. Yes. Oh, pi- pi- rested, rested peace, Pigmon. Yeah, yeah. Pigmon versus Garamon. Let's see that. That'd be great. All right. Yeah. Uh, I don't have any more in me, I think. <laughs> yeah. I'll just go on the second email. Uh, thank you for your thank email. You for that, thank you. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, this one's by Sage Martin. Uh, hello. I recently started listening to your podcast, Ultra Q, after my favorite po- Ultra podcast, Saved by the Belial, which I did find before but never really listened to, uh, has been on an indefinite hiatus. But I quickly like really live Ultra Q just as much as I've been recently getting into the Ultraman franchise as a longtime Godzilla fan. My favorite kaiju has to be Gamora. Uh, I think it makes sense as a Godzilla fan. Yeah. Yeah. That does make sense. Uh, uh, much like Boltan's race, I believe he deserved better. Uh, you're going to hate me, but I skipped Ultra Q when I started watching the franchise. I plan on watching some other time, and your podcast really inspired me to do that sooner rather than later. So that's good. Yes. Yeah. You should watch Ultra Q Rules. We like, it's a good time. We like Ultra Q way more than Ultraman. <laughs> you might have noticed. I, I, 
I, I'll be honest, I Ultra Q, I, I've had a year to think about this almost. You're, you're still higher on that, on that than anything else we've done. <laughs> yes, and I feel like this may remain the case for many, a long time. That is that is quite alright. I, I, I consider Ultra Q a top 10 TV show I've ever watched, honestly. It's it's fan- the, an- the anthology nature of it is simply fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, like yeah. most of the week show is obviously comes out of an anthology format, but it's still a different thing. Yeah, it's... The core three trio too is just they're so good. Yeah. It's a good time. We haven't had a lead female so that goofy. good yet. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird how they just nailed the female lead kinda like right out of the park. Except for like there's kind of that weird episode where They nailed her tiny. right out of the park. Well done. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Um, but yeah. Uh, they say they've just started Ultra 7, or Ultra 7 season. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they have catching up to do. Uh, they can't wait to get to Return of Ultraman with our podcast, uh, as it's their favorite so far. Oh, fantastic. Good. We're enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, they say it's... that they're currently halfway through Ace. Uh, they gave their opinions on it. I don't know how much you guys want to hear that. Like, not like, uh... a, not like, it's like a, it's like a, it's like half a sentence. It's just more like, do you want to be primed or not? Hmm. Uh, hmm. I think I want to stay in the dark. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. So here's the thing. I don't. Sh- I don't know shit about Ultraman Ace except for like a vague premise thing. Yeah. So, and I don't even want to say that. Okay. Much so I'll, I'll keep. I'll keep this prime, person's prime, opinions prime, on Ace. Prime me on Discord, just exclusively. Okay. You just message me. Uh, let me find you. I have to scroll down a bit for you. Because you both yeah, are we talking this we, have, we, haven't, we haven't messaged individually in forever. <laughs> October of last year. It's a... Uh, Ultraman Ace. Okay. 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 Thank you for your input. Um... All right. Uh, and then um, they also want to ask if you'd be interested in reading the novelization by Pat Cadigan that released just last month. I bought it. It's on my bookshelf. I have not opened it yet. Yeah, we did talk about it a bit. We didn't have any concrete plans or anything. Ultraman, Ultraman, or yes. Yeah. Okay. I think they. I think she was also doing an Ultra Seven one, but that is not yet. Yes. Uh, I do plan on reading it. I'm curious how you novelize. Ultraman. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'll find out. Uh, they ask if we haven't already planned on doing it. Uh, they're curious how to know if it like addresses any of the maybe the issues of the show itself. That anything is a worthy adaptation. Uh, they only just started the book themselves. Mm. I mean, uh, you know, we've we've well, I we've watched Shin Ultraman. I'm guessing that there are adaptation choices you would make for the modern viewer um that are that we would find more agreeable than the original show but i bet there are also choices made where i'm just like you know this is this is weird weirdly dishonest (laughs) i mean that's i think the thing is we have our own reading the show that is not the majority reading even if we think that the majority (laughs) reading is dishonest Uh, oh this is true this is true like Um, Every every we have a every of what Ultraman and like the TDF and defense teams are, but, but the but the default is that they are the true heroes. 
every, every, you know, I'm always seeing people on Twitter talking about uh, how, uh, how, what a hero Ultraman is. And I'm like, you sure? I, we watched the same show. Yeah. <laughs> is that true? I don't know. That's true. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. They also say, P.S. There's an episode of Ace they're they're looking forward to us getting to because it's one of their favorites in the show. Uh, they say it involves a pigeon. I won't say more. They, that's all they say, and I won't say more than that either because I don't know anything about that. But, you know. Well, I look forward we, to the pigeon episode. We have a we have a pigeon yeah. to look forward to, whatever that yeah. means. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that, thank you for your email, Sage. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Also. I'm not responding to this, but we also did get an email from someone who is like, hey, we are basically like a, feels like a scam email, like a, how to boost your podcast. Uh, I thought that was that. Oh, yeah. No, that's, yeah. I was like, dang, we finally got one of these. (laughs) We're growing. Uh, We will, uh, we we will not be boosting our podcast. Uh, Thank you. Uh, We, uh, um, we like the the eight listeners we have. (laughs) We have more than that. We're doing all right. Yeah, we're we're we're. I feel like most episodes get around like. Actually, I want to the numbers. I think you guys would get more listeners if you brought Rosin back and took out that Brad asshole. Uh, no, uh, we don't. No, we, do, we we I don't listen. I don't want to air this out in public. Uh, but you know, as you knew here, I, we didn't really like Rosin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he Damn. he kept he kept bringing on this American Prometheus guy, and I don't know if I agree with his views. You know. Yeah, it was a bit weird. Mm. Also, he, you know that the seven guys thing. It it wasn't that gaff. funny. It wasn't that funny. Yeah. <laughs> also, I never talked about this before, but all of the mad guys have numbers on their helmets. Wait, do they? Yeah. Oh. Oh. Which? Uh, oh, what numbers are they? This is important. Yeah, let me let me go. Let me go look it up. We need to see the order. Yeah, I need to know what number Kishida is. So to, to do I'm guessing he's number three. Alright, let's... Oh, or he might let's, even be number two. Okay, he... Kato, as you'd expect, is number one. Yeah. Yeah. He's in the Ultraman with you, by the way. Uh, Minami is number two. Oh, sorry, Kishida. Kishida's number three. Let's go. Uh, is number four. No, no, no. Oka's number four. We're not having this. Ueno's the... Oka as number five. <sighs> That's just because she's a woman. That's... There's no... She is <laughs> more important... Ueno, Ueno is more of a grunt than Oka. Uh, and then... Uh, Ueno's a baby. Six. And then number six is Go. Yep. So if you think about it, <laughs> that makes Ultraman the Ultra Seventh guy. True. Ultra, yes. <laughs> Hell yeah, we're back on the seventh. Uh, we're back on the seventh, and like actually seven, and not like Dan, where he's both six and seven. Hmm. Um. All right. Sick. Well, that's a podcast. I think. Yeah, that's bumper podcast yeah, for the new it, year. Um. This is a nice beefy one for you. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like this is the longest we've gone that wasn't a season finale. It might be. Uh, the ultra, we the, had cults to yeah. talk about. We had cults I talk to talk about Xenosaga for some reason. <laughs> uh, we had yeah, we had to talk about Xenosaga. Um, 
uh, we had two, we, we, we managed to save some time by, uh, two of our episodes being the same episode, being a two-parter, and also, like, the plot not being the main feature. <laughs> yeah. The main, the main feature was the effects, uh, to which we can only <laughs> say, uh, yeah, they look good. It was fucking sick. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Go watch it. Go watch it with your eyes. Very important. <laughs> um, alright, uh, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at ultra underscore Q. That is at ultra underscore Q U E U E. Uh, I am also on Twitter at gender underscore redacted. And that's me, uh, Mel. Hi, you can follow me on the different sites Twitter, Blue Sky, at Tier Crowns. Uh, we have an email, ultraqpod at gmail.com. Uh, we have the fund, Coffee, UltraQ Fund for media acquisition, which is basically done in subtitle stuff. Ideally. Uh, Brad, you go. Yeah, uh, I had a name change. New, new year, new me, as they say. Uh, so you can find me on YouTube at Canopus Invoke. That's two separate words. Canopus, like the star. C-A-N-O-P-U-S space Invoke. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at B underscore Invoked. That's B-E underscore Invoked. Uh, and also blue sky at be invoked no underscore or anything it's just all one word sick um i would just uh like to uh quickly i've looked up saved by the belial and um just you know sc- scoping out the competition no. um and uh, <laughs> i've uh, i the last thing on their youtube channel is uh this video Attack on Garamon. <laughs> oh, which I you know what I I think I, I think is important. Oh, you yeah. actually sent it to me. Oh, oops. Something up in the chat. Oops. Oh, I also don't. How long is this? Uh, we're not reacting to it. I'm just it's like a it's a minute and like oh. ten. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> I see enough to see the vision. This yeah. is this is good. Uh, yeah. So uh, thank you, thank you for existing. Saved by the Belial. Uh, yeah. you were important, if only for this. I assume your podcast was pretty good as well. Um, I haven't listened to it. Um, I, I think I'm, so. You know, I, th- yeah. I just like to. I like to think people do good things. <laughs> yeah, I won't. I won't. We'll assume they did all right. Yeah. Um. Hopefully, uh, we will last longer. But that's you know, it's how it is. So uh, far, coming up on a year. Coming up on a year, like two weeks. Wild, two weeks. wild. Weeks. The anniversary is—is it—is it still gonna fall on the last episode of Blazer? Yes, yes. Nice. For real, for nice. real. Thank you, Blazer. Uh, I have no idea um, what we—we <laughs> we have zero plans for an anniversary thing, so we probably won't do it. But it'd be fun. Nah. We'll, we we'll, extra we'll we'll see. Um, all right. Join us next time uh, for three more episodes of the Return of Ultraman. Um, and until then, uh, 16, 17, 18. don't, I don't care how many Japanese TV shows tell you to do it. Don't hit your kids. Yeah. Um, at least Gento never did this. At least I Gento never, he never sees his kid, but. Yeah, maybe he would have done if he'd spent more time around his kid. I like Damn. to think he wouldn't, but. Yeah, Bright, Bright Noah meets his son for the first time in like fucking months, immediately backhands him. That's like that's like the number that's the number one that's the bright slap that takes me out every fucking time is the one in CCA when it just <laughs> when it cuts from like space battle to bright 
hitting Hathaway like across the because it's in zero G, he just floats across the room. He gets hit so hard, and Bright just thinks nothing of it. Absolutely unhinged. This <laughs> is ridiculous. Um, goodbye. We will see you next uh, next year. No, I can't say that. Yeah, it's a new uh, year already. <laughs> next week. See you next week. Bye bye. Goodbye. Later. わしぞ Chi ネラタテキワヒサツワザノオクリモノ大地を飛んで聞く一発近くに寄ってウルトラチョップ今日は空海中空に一つ輝く僕の星遠く離れて地球に一人あれがあれがふるさとだ正義と平和を守るため帰ってきたぞ帰ってきたぞ帰ってきたぞウルトラマンウルトラマン